Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Hello and welcome to Third Degree Burn. I'm your guest host, Kirk Greenfield, and we have a special episode. This is uh, somewhat the culmination of our coverage of Elsewhen, the X-Men fan fiction project that uh, John Byrne has done online. We're reaching the end of the prepared materials, and I'm joined on the uh, podcast here by two of our regular hosts, Brian Hughes. Hey! And Tim Elliott. Hello. And the usual cast of idiots with us uh, are listening in, but they are unable to join us this morning. So uh, we'll we'll just leave it at that and, and wish that we had had a little larger panel for this auspicious occasion. But uh, unfortunately, uh, some people had family commitments. So uh, we are looking at the last two issues in the 32-issue run that John Byrne had created because the muse led him to do it. And so uh, we're reaching um, multiple climaxes in several storylines that he has been nursing along, the Dark Phoenix saga, if you will, and uh, Doom as well. Doom has, Dr. Doom has reared his head as well. So the Fantastic Four have been in this mix as well. And that's probably as much of an intro as you're going to get. Yeah, but there's a couple things to sit there and consider all in all this. Number one is that we don't get conclusion to any of these stories because oh, spoiled it. Well, no, I mean it, it's important to sit there and, and and state that up front because I mean there there's a lot of things to consider in all this. These are the last issues that he did, and the fact of the matter is is that 31 was the last one he actually posted in the the normal run of the books in March of, um, of no February of, uh, 2022, he, uh, posted the, he started posting the, the pages of issue 31 and he even stated, this is going to be the last issue. I'm, I, I've just gotten into these doldrums and I just don't see the stories going the way I intended them to. And I just don't seem to have have it in me, in me anymore to, to continue on. So he he'd stopped it. And then in August, he's like, yeah, well, you know, I I uh, I know I said I was done, but I had this full issue finished. So might as well just go ahead and put it on out. So there was a break of several months before that last issue came out. And you can see where the stories, you know, what, what, what happened with the stories and what he was, you know, the direction he was going. But you could also see that you really couldn't tell where he was going to take it. I mean, he, he'd introduced some things that are kind of cool, but he also introduced some things that are just like, what's going on here? Yeah, well, the, the Doom story is really kind of just starting to kick off. It is really yeah. starting up, and that's when I started really getting, uh, and we said the last couple of issues have been kind of, okay, where is he going with the Phoenix story? And I was more interested in the Doom, and the Doom really kicks in in these two issues to where, like, now I really want to know what's where he was going with it, 
and I I think we'll find out. I think he will. I think he'll have to revisit this because I he's uh, he's a creative that I don't think he can put his pencil down for long. So he will. I think it may be a bit he's, of time, but we'll. He's been in the doldrums, but like like we said, he's been in the doldrums. And someone asked him, you know, are you doodling? Are you sketching? Are you doing anything? And he said, I haven't drawn anything in months. Hmm. And the thing is, though, is that it, what a month ago he did or he posted or had been posted was uh, several strips for Funky Winkerbean. Um, Funky Winkerbean came to an end of its run. Uh, and uh, the, the guy that does the strip asked John Byrne to write like a postscript. It's like a, like 20 years off in the future or something like that. Uh, so he he did this thing after the regular artist had completed his run. It's another week of, of strips, but it was all done by John Byrne. And um, he says that he hasn't done anything else. Now, he hasn't drawn anything else, that I think what we should say. There had been discussion uh, back in 21 about Byrne doing some Star Trek work for IDW. And... Um, that was even after Chris Rael had left. So I'm wondering if he's doing Fometti work. Because he's not talking about anything right now. I mean, really, if you've been looking at his website, he's been incredibly quiet. And he chimes in on different things people are saying, you know, and answers any questions that you pose at him, provided it's a, you know, a loose and cogent, you know, question. And um, he's... Maybe posting different, you know, links to different stories that he finds intriguing or, or something that, you know, may inspire a conversation. But he's been a lot less active on his site than he had been. Now, he, he's not depressed or anything like that. And he said that himself. But, you know, he's definitely you know, there's something going on there. Maybe he's working on some other stuff. Maybe he's working on more stuff, you know, Fanetti stuff. But he's definitely got something else going on. And well, I'm hoping it's a Fometti. Now, he did say that he'd taken on um, an uh, AT-AT Lego uh, that he'd been working on. And he's experienced some frustration with that because <laughs> it, it, those Lego models are not designed to be made in normal gravity. They're designed to be made in zero gravity because you have to attack it from all sides. So he's, he's, he's probably got some, some big. I bet he's got the big deluxe at at. Yeah, and now they thousand pieces. They just put out the shuttle executor, executor, right? I don't know how you pronounce that. I think it's executor, uh, not shuttle. I'm sorry, the super star destroyer. Super star from, destroyer, yeah. From Empire Strikes Back, apparently they just put that out, and that's like eight hundred dollars or something like that. Just oh, yeah. insane. Yeah. But uh, okay. Anyway, so um, uh, so are you saying that John Byrne is assembling Lego toys? Is that what you're saying? He he does Lego. He does Legos like crazy. That's one of his uh, one of his hobbies. Interesting. And if you if you go onto his website and do a search for Lego, yes. Or if you uh, from Google type site burn robotics space Lego, you will see a number of threads of different Lego things he's done over the years. Interesting. Yeah. How old is he now? Uh, let's see. He was born in 50, so he'll be 73 in July. Wow. We uh, we have to uh, be thankful 
that we've seen so much creativity from him, mm-hmm. considering so many other creators would have hung up the gloves well before this. Um, you know, the, the, I f- tend to forget since he was there all through my youth. I tend to forget what age our creators are at now, and we have to respect their their uh, their interests and their desires. Um, I don't well, know where I'm it, going with this. Well, the the fact that he's kind of that second wave of ones that came along with Perez and Neil Adams is kind of in that he's a little earlier. But the, you know, I I still, you still see guys on Facebook like, um, like Ron Friends. I think he just celebrated his birthday. Yeah, and he's I don't know if he's doing. I think he's still doing covers and stuff. I think he occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I Mike Plug. I see him. He's usually just showing stuff he's done. But those guys are, you know, it's not the old guard. It's not Kirby Basima. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, Sal Basima is still is still working. Sal Sal is still working at eighty. I think that, he's eighty six. That is amazing that he is still working. Yeah. Um, it's not like well, he's it, not 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 like he's putting out a monthly book, but he's still putting out some stuff here and there. Yeah. Ron, Ron Friends was busy even last year. He worked on Thor twenty five. Yeah. Um, as as penciler he i mean he's been he, he, again he's been doing odd things here and there but he hasn't been like on on a regular monthly book since 2015 i think when he was well, doing Sp- spider island right and even some of the you know the new kids um Liefeld or uh, McFarlane or some of those guys are not i mean McFarlane's done too busy running his company that i don't know if he's actually doing anything artwork wise and I think um, Liefeld's been doing. He just recently did some Youngblood, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, I I, I mean, I'm not I'm up look- to what he's doing. I just I kind of started listening to his podcast recently. Rob observations. Rob observations, and yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know what to make of that. Uh, but I'm taking a look here. I say, well, I'm going. If, if y'all don't know what I'm doing, I'm going out to Mike's Amazing World and going to the creator page. And looking that up, and that'll always it, it keeps pretty well up to date. So uh, back in April, he put out Deadpool Bad Blood number one. It doesn't have anything later than that, but it's very possible it just hasn't been updated because I think that's all this is work that's being done by Mike Royals, and yeah. um, I know that he planned on taking a step back from the website. So I'm surprised to see it so up to date. Uh, one of the interesting things about um, Mike's Amazing World. In the creator page, if you pull up any creator, uh, the first thing that he gives you is how many story credits they have and total pages for all stories. And like in the case of Rob Liefeld, it says there's 273 story credits found and total pages. And I believe that's pages of artwork done. 5,733. That's as penciler or penciler and inker. you know, or, or just, you know, yeah, that, that would really, really be it. I don't think he's ever done just inks on anything. But if you go and I mean, I sat there and I looked at Kirby and I looked at Basima and I looked at, you know, anyone that I could think of. Nobody has matched John Byrne with the sheer volume of pages that he's done. Now, there's probably 
you know, some somebody, you know, from the older age has probably done so much more. But it shows that Byrne has done 21,036 pages of published comic See, book. I think art. Kirby would be above that. I would think Kirby would, with the amount uh, of books he was putting out in the 60s. According to Mike's Amazing World, let me, let me just take a look uh, real quick. And take a look at that before. What's going on here? Search. This is the exciting part of the show. Well, no, it's just that it's like I've got a space. Oh, there's a space there. That's why. Okay. Jack Kirby, 19,441. And that's going from 1938 until, was it 1990? Scrolling down this is like trying to find my birth year on most forms. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, uh, well, I mean, he's got stuff that's been republished. So, 1984 it looks like was the last thing that he had out in Phantom Force, and then after that, everything is just reprints of his work, or reimagining. Yeah, so from 38 to 94, long time, well, but still. right. And Burns got a because Kirby was he in his 60s when he died. I don't think. He... Um, Maybe 68. I don't, um, so I, Burns got some, you know, that he was working past uh, where Kirby could have contributed. But Yeah, and now, of course, the, the, the Burn work does not cover his Elswin work. No, and this is... And I don't believe, if and, and let me go back and check that, I don't even think it covers um, his Fometi work either. Let me no, see. No, I don't count that as... Uh... Now, the last thing it's got in here is Triple Helix, the Doomsday, point one, not plus one, but point one in the highways and Trio and Next Men Aftermath. So uh, while it's got his IDW, it doesn't have any of his uh, – fact is, okay, I do see the Star Trek work in there for you know Leonard McCoy, Frontier Doctor, and Romulan Schism. That's and all traditional. That. That's traditional. Right, artwork. traditional. Art, Fumetti, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but, yeah, the Fumetti doesn't get counted. So the last – Traditional art that he gives him credit for was back in 2014. And the last time he worked at uh, any of the big two was DC, the JLA classified story from 2008. And these pages, if we just count, say there's 20 pages on each of these, maybe 22, mm -hmm. 32 issues, that's 704 um, right. pages. That's just right. the, the Elsewind that. It's not going to be counted anywhere because it's all free. Well, it, it yeah. you know, the, the thing is, is that when once Byrne does pass and he doesn't have a direct heir, uh, it's hard to say what's going to happen with his material. I'm sure he's got that. He's got that accounted for in, in a will. But or, you, you know that Marvel is going to do anything they can to get their hands on the Elswin so that they can go ahead and ink it, color it, and put it out. It's the lost work of John Byrne or whatever. Because as much as we've touted the work, as much as we've talked about it here, as much as he's tried to sit there and make people aware of it, the, the general comic book reading public is not aware of it. And if you were to go out to all those people that love the all-new, all-different X-Men from the 70s and 80s, that love that work, that that see that as possibly the greatest single comic book run in comic book history, you know, they're going to, they're going to sit there and they're going to buy that up. If it were to hit the stands today 
it would probably get picked up pretty well. I, I think I could be wrong though. Cause again, we're talking about a comic book public that, you know, uh, their, their tastes do change and maybe they're not interested, but these older guys, the guys that are our age that are not aware of this, they see that they're going to jump all over it. It would, it would sell in the same vein as the, the you know what well, used to be the essentials but the omnibuses the uh mm-hmm. the artist edition like the big ones you have that kind of thing how uh, many issues does an omnibus usually cover 30 30 30 to 40 maybe so they could do a full one full omnibus of, of this, this entire run and well, i mean I... what they could do is produce this like it's an artist edition do the oversized mm-hmm. paging don't ink it release it well, yeah, exactly the way we Joe, see it Joe, like an, an artist and yeah but i mean that yeah. would be really cool but i still think it'd be great to to do like this a stretch where you have 10 issues inked by terry austin you know and then 10 inked by you know one of the other anchors that's still a lot joe rubenstein and, and you know the, the guys that did him and then get you know scott williams and and, and you know other anchors that uh that he didn't get to work with as much to, to, you know, come in and ink some pages. That it, would be, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, stinkers. something like that just seems like the logical thing to happen after burn does pass. And, you know, he's talking about, you know, that, that he knows he's not going to live forever and he sees the clock ticking. Um, but I mean, again, it could be 10, 20 years, you know, he may, he may, may still have some, some good life in him. He is seeing a heart doctor. And uh, no, I don't stalk the guy. I've just been reading his day-to-day on, on his website when he talks about it. So it's not like I've got a, a line to his doctors or anything. Though his last MRI did look good. No, Brian is not kidding. currently looking at him through a pair of binoculars. <laughs> anyway, we should go ahead and, and get to the uh, the issues at hand. All right. Um, so, Tim, take it away. I will. Uh Little little uh, note of here. I looked up, and we've been covering these issues. The first time, the first we covered the first ten issues. I think came out a big chunk, and that was mm-hmm. back in April of 2020. So we've been covering these issues for almost three years. Wow! Um, and it's really the only series we have uh, covered chronologically. You know, one issue after another, instead of grabbing an issue here and there. Yeah, um, index style. Index style, exactly. So yeah. This is the the one that we have the most comprehensive coverage on, uh, and as Kirk said, this is the it's the it's quote is it the final two issues? It's the final we have. We may have more in the future, um, and this does as we get to it. This does kind of it doesn't really tie things up. It really kind of just sets things in place, and you're waiting for the next issue, which we may or may not get, but. Uh, I'm going to give us our first. Our first is Elswin number 30. Oops, excuse me, 31. I got my uh, numbering wrong. And I took a little bit of artistic license in these last two just to have some fun mm-hmm. with it. So they're, you'll see when I go into it, it's a little different than I normally write my synopsis. But uh, issue number 31. Can you do this one in verse, verse and rhyme? No, I'm not, like that, I'm not, that, I'm not that clever. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm not that witty with my writing, but um, you'll see. So X-Men, Elswin number 31. uh, It is titled Friends and Enemies. It goes a little something like this. 
Sorry, I had to write time code down. Okay. J. Jonah Jameson with a special editorial from the Daily Bugle. Reports are coming in of a Spider-Man sighting in Manhattan. The wall crawler menace was spotted fighting the villains Dr. Doom and the mutant Magneto. I'm sure Spider-Man is somehow mixed up with these two villains. Eyewitnesses say the members of the Fantastic Four, the Thing and the Human Torch, were also involved in a blue-skinned creature. His or her loyalties are unknown at this time. The fight is said to be involved several of what appears to be robots fighting alongside Doom. I have been told Spider-Man was aiding the FF, but that's yet to be proven. We also have reports of a house mysteriously appearing in the neighborhood of Annadale on Hudson, and a group of individuals identified as the mysterious X-Men entering the house with a striking redhead. The following is based on eyewitness reports on the scene. The group settled into the house with the redhead playing host. She seems to have a relationship with a mutant identified as Cyclops. The two were heard having an argument over who was the real gene and who was Phoenix. Witnesses say the woman and man appeared to be to confront to be confronting a small a small child. We now have more reports on the battle downtown. The wall crawler attacked several of the robots causing considerable property damage. The human torch and the thing prevented Spider-Man and the robots from damaging more of the city while Doctor Doom attacked Ben Grimm. Security cameras show the blue key, blue creature now identified as a mutant nightcrawler pulled the helmet off of Magneto. The villain responded by throwing a dozen cars at the mutant with his strange magnetic powers. The reports are unclear on the following, but onlookers say the mutant was saved by Spider-Man with the help of the Thing. I'm sure Spider-Man was working with Magneto, and the real hero was Ben Grimm. Saving lives by catching the vehicles before they could harm anyone. He was, last, he was seen taking a blast from Dr. Doom's gauntlets. A witness at Annadale and the Hudson reported the mutant Cyclops and the redhead, now known to be Jean Grey, a.k.a. Marvel Girl, continued co to confront the small child. The child appeared very upset and in distress. Cyclops cried out in pain. All this is speculation based on witnesses. The child could not be seen, and some speculate the confrontation took place in the minds of Cyclops and Jean Grey. This is based on other, mutants, other mutant reactions to Scott and the sudden appearance of the real Jean Grey. The leader of the X-Men appeared to collapse as the house disappeared. To witnesses, the mutant looked dead. The mutant identified a storm, who we are told can control weather, froze Cyclops, and the whole team left in their flying vehicle. We now have reports from upstate the vehicle flew into the side of a mountain. This mountain is reported to be an abandoned base for Sentinel robots. See our previous reports on the Sentinel attack on New York. Witnesses now report the other members of the FF have joined the fight. Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman, arrived in their Fantastic Car. They attacked what they now are called Doombots and Dr. Doom himself. Doom seemed to get the upper hand with Sue Storm and his Doombots captured Nightcrawler. Doom argued with Magneto before disappearing in a puff of smoke. The following is pure speculation based on previous reports and sightings of the X-Men. We believe Cyclops would be put in some type of stasis chamber to aid his healing. We know the Sentinel base was equipped with similar technology. His mind could have been damaged from his interaction with the young girl Phoenix. Interviews with several psychics speculate his mind could be trapped in a fantasy world created by the false gene. A world of her making, a world created to live out her dreams with a man she loves. Authorities believe this child could be the rem remembrance of a cosmic entity that impersonated Jean Grey and is still in love with Cyclops. More to come as we continue to report on these events.
Aha. Mm-hmm. Well done. Well done. Good Thank story. You. Thank you. Now, was that Ben Yurick that was uh, was writing that for no, that Jonah? No, was, that was uh, J. Jonah Jameson. Can you tell J. by Jonah his Jameson. bias? His yeah, bias well, yeah, towards Spider-Man. Definitely... Yeah, and I really, really like that. Um, interesting. Yeah. That was, that was really cool. I didn't realize Jonah was doing reporting these days. Well, well when, it, when Spider-Man's involved, he gets involved. You know, he's got to come true. out. That's you true. Know. That is very true. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. There's one question I have, and I'm trying to answer it myself right now. And that is because we, we, we talked about this previously was the what we were calling Doombots. Are they actually referred to as Doombots? That yeah, I don't know. Are they his? Are Doombots the ones that look like Doom, and these others are more like his servant robots? See, this is why you it's been you used listeners, interchangeably. Yeah, this is why you listeners need to be writing into us because you you can correct us. I know that you're sitting there yelling at your phone or you know pod uh, MP3 player or whatever. It's uh, it's time to yeah the master's guardian robots. That's what they're called. That's not right. I'm looking at this land as mine. And um, you guys want to go through I, I this page see. by page? Oh yeah, we're gonna do that real quick. I just I was just trying to take a look at that, but I can't. I see think I think it's quick. generally assumed that Doombots are the ones that are the ones that look like him. That when right. not in his presence, they think they are Doom. Um, yep. But, the ones that the X-Men fought when Storm got put in the metal thing. Yeah. yeah. And Arcade struck his match on the shoulder. Yep. Yep. That was a Doombot. Okay. Let's talk about this first page. And um, it just at Marvel, and no pun intended, at the Ditko-esque uh, touches that Byrne put into this particular one. Because, I mean, it all goes down to the eyes. And when you see those two dots in the eyes, you, you your mind goes all the way back to Amazing Fantasy 15, the very last page, when Spider-Man realizes that the guy that he just captured was the same guy. The guy that killed his Uncle Ben was the same guy he could have stopped in the hallway. Well, it's the eyes that get edited out sometimes they reprint that. So yeah. they leave men, sometimes they take them out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in every one that I've read that I recall, you know, they always had the little eye dots, which like is freaky but burn puts him in here and it just for whatever it, it changes the whole image because it, it, it draws your attention to those dots yeah i've noticed that that was the first thing i saw too but yeah, yeah. i mean the thing is when you stop and you look at it you realize it's he's upside down over the city and i mean it's just it, it's it with with his um grid lines in there you also get this kind of I don't know, Blade Runner feeling to it uh, up there towards the top. Well, the but, perspective uh, is the, the, the figure of Spider-Man, I agree, is very Ditko, but yeah, the perspective is very Ramita. Ramita was the one that would really do that, give you a sense of almost vertigo when he would draw Spider-Man crawling up a building or overhead. Because at first you think he's just over the buildings and you realize he's upside down. Uh, we're kind of looking... It's it's weird, you know. You think you're looking at the top of the buildings, or you're kind of looking down the the side of them there. But it's a, yeah, it's a good one way to thing start I it notice off. Whenever you whenever you've got a cityscape, um, I always try to read the lettering or the numbering 
that the artist has included and just next to Spider-Man's leg, I can't make out what it, the reference is, but it says re colon 370. Yeah. I, I, I tried. I looked at that too. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's. The only thing I can think of is that 360 is the number of degrees in a circle. 370. I don't know what the reference would be. Sometimes well, they spell things out. There'll be messages or it's the artist's name. Not this one. Yeah. No. And, and I think that's something you might have to pose to him as a, as a question um, on the site, you know, what's, what is that? Because typically when he puts a number uh, in there, a specific number, it's like he, he'll, he noted um, in his original run on X-Men when he did his 500th page um, in X-Men 137, if you know, you've got careful eyes, you can see the 500 in the rocks uh, on that particular page. Now he's done well over 500 pages at this point, but it's like, is this re you know, referring back to the 370th page that he's worked on on Elswin? Or is it something else? I don't know. It, it may not be anything. It could just simply be referring to, well, it wouldn't be even be a radio station. It's not not an AM band or no, FM band. It's not time. No. It's not time. It's definitely not time, and it's definitely not uh, an angle or anything because it's gone beyond 360. Yeah. I, again, you know, it could be nothing at all. It could just be, you know, Letters on the numbers and letters on a page, but still, it brings a question. I also like to pose, and the one other thing I wanted to bring attention to, and this also goes back to Amazing Fantasy 15, is that here we've got a shocked Spidey, not scared, not um, in danger, so to speak, but shocked. And the way you can tell is that the lines that are around his head are more indicative of a head moving left and to the right. Yeah. As you can see, the there's just the lines that are almost parallel to the head. Almost speed lines. Right. And if you go back to Amazing Fantasy 15, in that moment when he, you know, you know he sees who the, the, the killer, his uncle's killer, he's, it's not spider sense lines that go out vertically from his head, but more horizontal lines like his head is shaking. And that's what we're seeing here. Yeah, and you think so, this would be his spider sense because he's referring to that he's being, that's where he's reacting to. He's getting uh, a strong jolt from his spider sense. Oh, but he, he does phase. say, is my spider sense is jangling like Galactus just stepped yeah. on Yancey Street. So you figured that you would see spider sense there. But he's not, no. unless he is, to your point, he is aping those that first issue. I think that's what he's thought, doing. Or he thought those lines might interfere with the, the background. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's the first thing. I think he was just uh, trying to go back, you know, reference that very first issue. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. We get, you know, the next page we get a great uh, multi, uh, you know, which Byrne was, was always good at, uh, the kind of a multi-figure uh, where you see him swinging and shooting another web, web line. Um, and, and so that kind of gives you an idea going all the way back to his work on Iron Fist or um, Daredevil, or when he showed Daredevil in Fantastic Four, where mm -hmm. you'd see those multiple images of him leading up to, you know, where he would wind up. You always wondered how how in-depth he penciled them. And as you can see with Spidey here, there's not all the, the depth and shading. It's pretty much just the outline. Well, yeah, that, and would, if this was drawn, that would probably be a monocolor figure. It would, right. you know, you yeah. know, just to let you know that, that that's that's like time passing. Um, yep. And then we get a 
uh, a beautiful splash page. This. Uh, oh this God! Yeah, I want, I want this as a poster. Or just yeah, just to have this artwork where the thing is so large in the foreground. You get him standing up. You get kind of a Dutch angle. You've got Doom. You've got Doom butts in the back or whatever we're calling him. Um, and it's so packed. You've got the the torch is down at the bottom, flying, and he had just I think just fried a Doombot. Mm -hmm. You got Nightcrawler punching Magneto. This yeah, this would be would really be pretty beautiful if it was inked and colored. Let me get still the, the the shading on 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 the thing is it, just amazing what he's done there. Well, you can almost tell. We've I think we mentioned this in our last episode about when he's now that he started doing. He's brought Doom in and he's brought uh, the FF back in. Mm -hmm. It's almost like he's really fallen back into his love of the FF and he. The artwork on those figures seems to be taking a little more detail than on some of the other figures. Uh, you can yeah, really but even Night, Nightcrawler up there at the top of the image, the 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 depth, the the shading on on the black parts of his costume. Yeah, and even his hair and, and his face. The amount of detail that goes into that small of an image on this page is really, you know, amazing. And it's for the sake of conversation in this book, I think we'll just go ahead and continue referring to those guys as Doombots. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise we're going to just having to qualify ourselves every time. But we understand there's a difference. Uh, an odd image of Spidey there flying head first. If you didn't know better uh, Spidey's powers, you'd swear he was flying. Yeah, yeah it, make, it makes me think, for whatever reason, it makes me think of um, Ant-Man. Yeah. And I guess that's a Civil War kind of thing. But they also did that back in Avengers 2-something, where Hawkeye had shot Ant-Man on one of yep. the arrows. For some reason, that's what it's making me think of. Now, the other thing, that I, I, if, if, I hit, if I'd known what you were doing when you were doing your story there, I would have told you that anybody Annadale on Hudson being noted as a witness would have to be like a Gladys Kravitz. <laughs> Well, I tried to, when doing the synopsis, of course, obviously there are things that you wouldn't be able to tell. Right. Because you know, right. we can say. So that's why I tried to construct it so that it was either they were speculating and they brought in witnesses or they brought in experts to think what could have happened. Yeah. And really for those that, that don't understand my reference, Gladys Kravitz was the neighbor to Darren and Samantha Stevens on the TV show Bewitched. And she was the nosy neighbor that knew something was going on. You know that that something was going on with this woman, so she's like always like peeking through the windows and everything. So she would have had in information that other people just didn't have. Yeah. Well, nobody believed her. Her husband thought she right. was nuts, and right. she could and, never prove. And it was constant. She would constantly get the short end of the stick as yeah. Samantha would cover her tracks, and then she'd appear to be the idiot. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting side point and, on and, that. And the reason, for, of course, for that is that the the house that. Uh, has been used to represent the Gray's house all this time was modeled on the house used in Bewitched. So I know we've mentioned that before, but we, I, we have new, new listeners, by the way. Hi, Steve Rose. Nice shout out. Side uh, <laughs> tangent on Gladys, uh, on Gladys Kravitz. 
Yeah. The actress who performed that role in the first, I don't know if it was the first season or the first five seasons or, or however long, but the first Gladys yeah. Kravitz actress was in fact suffering from cancer and was uh, expired and never let on. Nobody on the set knew as she was uh, performing as, as uh, they recorded it. It's just she got changed out midway through the, the, um, the series. And it's a fun fact that nobody seems to realize now. But when you go back on it, it's like, you know, how can you keep that quiet? It's just amazing. Well, it's, the, well, the that secret. show had a habit of changing out. Uh, I mean, again, anyway. we're talking the 60s, too. And the thing is, when you got cancer, it was pretty much a death sentence. Yeah. So and, you didn't, didn't talk about it that much. Right? Well, while Julio, when he was doing uh, Street, is it Street, Street Fighter? Street he was fighter. dying he did for of his kids. stomach yeah. cancer, I think. He was dying well, he, then. And he did that role because his kids asked right. him to. He wanted to do something that they could, you know, at that age look at and go, wow, that's my dad. Though I thought, golly, Adam's family is something a kid that age would love too. But, you know. Whew. But, okay. you know, in the, in the 60s, you know, if it was main made known that someone was dying in any way uh things happen like you'd lose your credit you'd lose you know your ability pretty much to do anything because it was it was a death sentence and we've yeah, moved quite away from there yeah, yeah. hollywood yeah. had a much better control over the publicity and the information that would leak out as well it's not like today where there's multiple cacophony of voices in the marketplace the studios could still control their own publicity for, regarding the actors and the image of the actors and the background that was yeah. released to the public. Well, it's, but it's possibly we are, we're diverging at, here. Yeah, Let's, yeah, yeah. Now I got I got a question about this page though, and I'm looking at the page four. I think it is. Is that you know wh why is Wolverine not fussing about getting a beer since he's sitting on a couch and just cold chilling? I think he's playing along. <laughs> he kind of mentioned that last last uh issue he told scott to play along because he thinks um she he, she's already kind of chastised him once for his salty language and behavior yep. so i think he's kind of playing it cool to see where this is going and did you catch kitty pride's twilight zone reference yeah yes yes i'm gonna wish somebody into the cornfield that goes all the way back to billy mummy back in the was it 50s or 60s 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 yeah, the original one. Yeah. Now, of course, they, they redid that story in the movie, too. Uh, Twilight Zone, the movie. Anthony Fremont, I think, was the character no, he played. They, oh, they did. Yes, yes, they did redo that one. Well, they also made a sequel to it where Bill Mummy played the same character who yeah. had a kid who had the power. And <laughs> Bill Mummy, I think yesterday or Friday, celebrated his 69th birthday. Yeah, that's right. Happy yeah. birthday, Bill Mummy. Yeah. My first TV hero. <laughs> Oh, well, I, I like the I, fact I, I, that Colossus doesn't get the reference. He's saying, no. Kitty, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's Russian. Come on. Right. There's he no reason get the, for They didn't get the Twilight Zone. Nope. The American this, propaganda. <laughs> and this this is the part, we talked about this, that, that I, I've i really gotten bored with this, this storyline. I really wanted to get yeah. back. I want this whole issue to be Magneto and the FF and Dr. Doom that whole fight this uh is is because that story is starting and kind of ramping up this is i can't tell if this is just continuing or if it's trying to come to a resolution that he can't he doesn't Jeez. seem like he doesn't know what to do 
with Phoenix. And and I think that's part of what what kill. I mean, he, he makes mention about the the kitty subplot that's about to come up, but this one right here, I think, was one where he just couldn't see the end that he that that he would he didn't know how to get from A to B. He had right. A, he had B. He just didn't have A and a half. And then that he stuck in A and a half, and that's why he's you know gotten to the doldrums. He just wasn't inspired to see where to take it. So you get to page six because page five is um, very light pencils, regardless. You know, it's just the 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 astral images of Cyclops and the the Ersatz gene. But when you get to page six, you get to back to Spidey fighting a Doombot and a big three ten thrown into this one for some reason. So we had three seventy and now three ten. So I'm, I'm getting more and more curious about right, what that's these a dress. Could that I mean think address? they're just three address. addresses. Yeah, could be, but that that other one looked like it was a thing up on top of a, you know, like the the spinning things on top of some of the old office buildings that would give time and temperature. Yeah, or digital a, uh, digital a, lines. Yeah. Like but a, there is like no three seventy. Yeah, no three seventy in the afternoon. Now could have been a stock stock price. That's true. That's that that that's what it could have been. But again, usually there's no uh, there's always a reason for what he's putting in. But anyway, so this is still high high up there because that's like a a, a more modern day water tower on top of a building that the uh, Doombot goes into. I always find it interesting that everybody seems to re reference these things as you know some kind of robot, but they don't ever mention how they look like Sentinels. And I mentioned that in our last issue. You're right. A lot of it is in the, in the coloring, I would think. But physically, they do look like um, like 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 those. I mean, now, except the little little knob on their head, they are almost yeah identical. The physical same shape. They're just smaller, yeah. about half the size of a, of a regular Sentinel. Now, as we go on to this next page, note after Johnny has come in and uh, taking care of that one. You get Doom still attacking Ben, um, but saying he's got urgent matters, and he seems to take off, all right? Like, he's flying away. And then Nightcrawler, of course, steals Magneto's helmet, and you're like, okay, we're seeing a turn of the tide here. And then on the, the next page, page eight, Magneto is throwing all those cars. Now, first question I have is, is anybody in any of those cars? Because they're acting like nobody's in any of them. And we're far enough away that we really can't tell, but it doesn't look like anybody's in those cars. Well, I think we can assume that when the when the 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 fight broke out, if this is traffic is stopped, everybody would have vacated Run their away. cars. Yeah, they Make would get out yeah. of the cars. Yeah, and got out. It's um, um, it's kind of reminiscent of that scene in a Fast Eight, one of the Fast and Furious where. She, where uh, Charlize Theron remote controls all the cars and they drive out of a parking garage onto the street below. Yeah, well, I mean, again, you know, we're, we're dealing with a situation where Magneto's flinging new cars at Nightcrawler, and Nightcrawler's concerned about the people in the office building he happens to be, you know, attached to. And then Spidey get, catches all of them with his web, and because they're up in the air, it makes it easier for him to swing them around. Still, that kind of momentum with several tons of, of metal like that, that's a Herculean effort. 
Well, and he talks to, about getting to it. They're on. If he, he's, he's kind of just changing your momentum. I don't think he's maybe right. supporting him enough to throw him at. Ben, and it would depend on the angle. Him. Yeah. Yeah, and then just all these cars land on Ben. Uh, that's that's really really cool. But definitely, if there's anybody inside those cars or a dog, maybe sadly, ouch. There's, uh, there's... That that's it for them. It made me think of um, the, the original Miracle Man series that uh, was originally Marvel Man uh, in Britain, but here is Miracle Man, issue fifteen, when they, they finally have the the big battle in London, and Miracle Man the caption around his battle he's sitting there throwing cars and he goes to my apologist who say there was nobody in the cars that i first threw i'm sorry but that's not true because hmm. he he didn't have a choice he just had to get in the battle and he started picking up cars and throwing them at kid miracle man but uh here it, it's definitely you know there's no comment about anyone being in any vehicles and you, you don't definitely see anything so uh, that, that says there was. So you have to assume they're just parked cars uh, left alone. Yeah, they could be yeah. parked cars on the side of the road. And probably probably what it is. But it's yeah. just like the thought of it still just kind of makes me a little. Ugh. Well, and the page before we we have uh, where Doom is taking off after his um, mm-hmm. fight with Ben, we see Nightcrawler has snatched the helmet off of. Um, Magneto. Magneto, and he and he makes a comment, makes a crack about investing in a chin strap. <laughs> yeah, that's a little meta comment there. But um, and we should also point out for anybody who hasn't been listening, this is Alt Magneto. This is the Magneto from not the Prime Earth, but this is the Magneto from a alternate a Earth where he had defeated yeah. all of the heroes. Yeah, he. So it's an he older Magneto, gotten, right? He had gotten control of the X Men. And had them wipe out the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, and virtually every other super team that's a person. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that, of course, does may answer my question here. And and, and we'll get into it actually in the next issue. I, I don't want to I don't want to spoil anything. But you see the doom flying away there. He's he's saying you'll find out all in good time, Graham. You'll regret, regret it when you do. And he flies off. So obviously he's not interested in fighting Ben Grimm anymore, right? I, and yet a- after he catches those cars, Doom attacks Ben again. Yes. And it's like, well, why? Wait, what happened? Well, I thought he flew off. I thought he took off. So let's put a pin in that and continue on. So well, we, go, we should say yeah. that the the Doombots have been trying to capture Nightcrawler. Yeah. Throughout this whole uh, that's, fight. That's the whole purpose of, of, yeah. of Doom's, yeah, of what Doom's doing is to get Nightcrawler. Which they seem to be using lethal force. So he wants him alive, but they seem to be not too well, careful he, about he, the way they're... Uh... Yeah, they, he even gets gets upset with the bots at one point when, some, when one of them states the obvious to him. So it's like, okay, this is unusual. But... I think I understand it now. Um, we go to page 10 and you see Scott and a Jean talking to a child Jean who looks like she's maybe six, six, seven years old, maybe at most. Yeah. Though hard to tell because Burns children always had an odd look about them. But, uh, as they're sitting there trying to talk reason to him, she starts to get less and less enchanted with uh, Cyclops. 
uh, in the way he is. And she seems to zap him. And then outside the astral plane in in what we can kind of call reality, Cyclops falls to the ground. And that's when they start saying that Cyclops is no longer breathing and Gene doesn't see any brain functions, that he's right. dead. Well, this is a callback. Yeah. Back to, to what, about one X-Men 134? One, uh, 133 and 134. Where he got stabbed yeah. by Mastermind. In the, on yeah. the astral plane. And then, yeah. you know, this Nightcrawler screams, oh, my God, Cyclops is dead. <laughs> and then the first page of the next, oh, my God, Cyclops is alive. He almost, he was almost dead. Well, <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is, Don't this is a little, dead. again, this is, I think, showing he doesn't quite know what to do because... We, we the last several issues that seems to be the Phoenix Force has come back after we thought it was dead and it possessed several people, and now it seems to have it recreated her, the childhood home of Jean Grey, and now on this astral plane it seems like this is they I think Scott mentions that when they resurrected the Landria, who had been in possession or who had been possessed by the Phoenix, they somehow reconstituted the Phoenix Force. But it and it seems to be the one that was impersonating Jean because she says, "I have all the memories it's after the, the shuttlecraft that she that that the Phoenix created." Right. But it but it's not the Phoenix itself. No, no, no. It's the yeah the the fake Phoenix. Um, yeah. But it. But as is it representing itself as a child because when at the beginning of these Elswin stories they had uh, regressed Jean. Or she had the mind of a child in order to cope right. with having been, or uh, is that right? Having been psych, I'm not, I can't remember now. Having been, yeah, she she got in a psychic lobotomy by the the Shiar, right and, right? and and that was what Claremont and Byrne initially intended to do, and of course Shooter made them. Well, he didn't make them, but he said basically that she should be suffering on the planet of a thousand hells or whatever, and well, she should pay for her crimes. For, and yeah. and Byrne said, well, but rather just kill her. And they said, okay, well, let's just kill her. <laughs> so I don't know if this is this entity is is somehow being regret acting like a child because it's pulled those memories from Jean after the lobotomy. I don't know. It's, it's kind of confusing. And well, you're, you're talking about a being that has very little sense of self at first, and it is slowly maturing into something else. And that's why it's got the childlike thing. You see it kind of changing as, as the story has gone along. However, Let's take a look at something here. Page 12 is, you know, the top of it is when they see Cyclops has fallen. And you look at that image of Gene, and you can see that's a fully realized image that Byrne has drawn. And the rest of the page, the figures look decent. But the background around them seems to, it's like Byrne himself is just kind of not really happy with this page not really happy with where he's going because he doesn't do the rubble like he normally does rubble the bottom of the page when cyclops is laying down flat yeah it's it's like he just he just kind of scribbled he didn't even have that zen moment where he creates the argle bargle it it just looks like a bunch of scratches like he's just like i don't know what i want to do now it does look a little rushed like he was kind of just 
getting it. He's always forward. rushed. He's incredibly fast. Yeah. But it, it almost looks like there's a word down by Cyclops' feet there, like late or, or something. I can't tell what that is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it could just be scribble. But that's what this part down here kind of looks like. It looks like scribble. It's weird. It's not what he normally does in a situation like this. That's the reason why I pointed it out. Where do you see the word late? Uh, by Cyclops' feet on the bottom of uh, page um, oh, 12. Yeah. Okay, got it. I uh, think it's just, I think it's just scribble. Now, it looks as, like words. Now, we're, we're, we're reading this basically from John Byrne's website. And I've just, you know, been saying pages 1 through 12 so far. But we're about to switch over to the second grouping. And it's going to start the numbering over again. Now, if you've pulled down a PDF off of uh, one of the various burn-related groups, burn victims or whatever, you're, you're going to have a better page count than I am. So I'm starting back over to page one. It's, it's actually page 13. Yeah, that's how mine's labeled. Yeah. Aurora freezes him, mm -hmm. uh, and then they load him onto their cart and heading back to the uh, to their sentinel base. Yeah, of course, you know, it's like you freeze somebody and then you put them in a convertible and you're flying hundreds of miles an hour. That that ice is going to come right off. Well, I assume Aurora is somehow she, maintaining. She's feeding it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. maintaining the, the – uh, of course, I don't know if freezing I, him like that would, would help. I think he would just get – But I, I think even Burn himself is, is bored with this storyline. Yeah, and he's just trying to. He's kind of almost like he's going through the motions. It seems he's like trying he, to find a way to get to an yeah. end of it. Yeah, and he gets back to the the fun Fantastic. stuff, which is Doom uh -huh. and FF. His artwork changes a little more. It it's really yes. gets nice and tight, and he's having a lot of fun with it, especially with the dialogue. Um, mm -hmm. We get the FF coming in with the uh, Sue and and then the traditional FF Fantastic car. Um, yep, everything looks good from here. Yeah. Oh, especially shoot. Doom. I mean, I love the way he's been drawing Doom. I love that bottom shot on that page with Spider-Man on the side of the flying bathtub. And I mean, it's just, you know, he's sitting there talking to Reed Richards and it's just like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> really? And then the, the Doom figure, the next page, of course, is a gorgeous one. I'd love to see this inked. Yeah, I really I, love I, I've that. not that been is... I've not been saying that about um, the previous issues, but this is one of those where I'm just like, there are so many things I want to see inked here. Um, well, that shot but, of Doom pointing with his blaster and blasting—I uh, think he's blasting Sue Storm. He set up. He says yeah. he set up some kind of feedback that it interferes with her invisible force field, so that it's causing her pain. But that his stance, the way he's drawn it, that's such a love letter to Kirby. Of yeah. Him pointing that finger in the air like that. Um, and I don't know why I've always loved the, the holster with the Mauser in it. And I know it's a Mauser because of, um, uh, Ohatmu. Yeah. Official hand Marvel. Yep. Yeah. Which yeah. he never uses. I don't know why he, I mean, it's a German gun. And it was used in World War II, but I don't know why he's... Uh, I think that's just Kirby drawing it in there. They never took it off. He never pulls that gun. No. Um, but... Mm -hmm. Could be a shot at his dad. I don't know. Yeah. 
But uh, then uh, Doom, of course, gets a, a hold of Nightcrawler, tells Magneto he's not important. And But then this is interesting. On this page, uh, and this is the fifth page of the second part here, Nightcrawler makes a comment at the very top that he cannot teleport, right? And he is right there uh, by Doom. The Doom bot takes Nightcrawler to Doom. And says, Master, I have security mutant. And, and Doom's like, I can see that. <laughs> like, shut up, you don't. But uh, give him to me. And he's already got something in his hand. It looks like the inhibitor or whatever that he's going to put around Nightcrawler. Or the thing that allows him to control Nightcrawler. Now, if Magneto is stopping Nightcrawler's ability to teleport, as they talked about previously, how could Doom teleport? with Nightcrawler right there, using Nightcrawler's ability. Well, he puts a collar on him, which I thought was a mm-hmm. yeah. kind of a power-dampening collar, but it must be something that he is... Using to control him. Right, or control it. So, Because at first I thought they teleported him all the way back to Liberia, but they just go back to the embassy. Right, yeah, um, they couldn't go that far. And Doom even states he couldn't go that far. But this this is the thing that, that, that really surprised me because right there, Doom tells Magneto, you're not important to me. Yeah. And that would have ticked Magneto off. That would have made Magneto really, really mad. And yet, right there in proximity to Doom, he's able to teleport away when Nightcrawler was not able to teleport away on his own. So there's... Something really, really funky going on there. Well, I think Doom can over. I mean, and this Magneto seems a little slow in the uptake because he, Doom is on several occasions basically said, you know, if you want to think we're partners, that's fine. But, you know, if that's what makes you sleep at night, that's fine. But we're not partners. And Doom still thinks like uh, that they are somehow in cahoots. And he is not catching on that Doom is in it for himself. And, yeah, I, I was trying to think why he would want... I mean, we'd seen that he had the body of the other Nightcrawler from previous issues that came from the alternate Earth, and Doom mm-hmm. was experimenting on him, because that's how Magneto got to this Earth. He used Nightcrawler to, to hop from, I guess, one universe to the next. Right. Well, I thought, well, why does Doom want Nightcrawler? Well, he says, um, when he calls him a demon, he says, you know, basically Nightcrawler says, what do you want with me? He says, uh, an answer, demon, a solution... To a problem that has vexed me my whole life. Do you think he thinks he can use Nightcrawler's power to travel to where his mother is? He's always been trying to reach his mother. Yeah, definitely. He he kind of states that, and we'll talk about that in the next issue. But the other thing to sit there and realize is that one thing he's trying to say: Nightcrawler is not just a mutant. He is something else. Dave Cockrum. Uh, of course, created Nightcrawler. He originally created him as part of the Legion of Superheroes, but didn't use him. And so when he got the the gig for all new, all different X-Men, he brought Nightcrawler in there. And Nightcrawler was his favorite character. He kept giving him extra powers. I mean, first, he's a mutant. He's got all this agility and the tail, and he's got this ability somehow to hide in shadows where he becomes almost invisible. And on top of all that, he can teleport, teleporting, not just teleporting, but whenever he teleports, he leaves that stench of brimstone and sulfur. And so it kind of says maybe as he is teleporting, he's opening a portal to some other area. Now, did you ever see the movie Event Horizon? Mm-hmm. 
Kirk, have you seen that? Event Horizon? Lawrence Fishburne and uh, 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 what's his name? Neil. Um, oh, my gosh. Who's the guy that was in Jurassic Park? Sam Neil. Sam Neil. Did we lose Kirk? No, I think he's on mute. Ah. He might have stepped away. Uh, so, he yeah, well, to get some water. Oh, Hotmo oh, does say that he, they think that he's he travels briefly in another dimension, and that's the atmosphere right. from that other dimension coming through. Right, uh, and, when he teleports. and the stench of brimstone and sulfur. That's all really, really important, but we'll get back. We'll put a pin in that and get back to that discussion next issue. I got a couple things. I got pins in a couple different things that we're going to discuss in the next issue. That While it's the last issue that we get, it's not the last of the story, but I have several theories, and Byrne makes a comment uh, in his notes there. But, well, let's let's go ahead and move on. Now, this next page, of course, uh, is moving back to the uh, Phoenix storyline. And the top part of the page is the X-Men on the Sentinel base, Cyclops in the stasis tube. Now, these are the same stasis tubes that the uh, Sentinel used to hold the mutants way back in the, the – was it the Neil Adams or was it uh, the storyline before that? I think it was, it was the storyline before that. Because it was the second – it wasn't Master Mold. It was uh, – uh, who was the guy that was running the, the – Yeah, Trask or Lang. Trask. Or, uh, Trask. It was the son of Lang, Trask. Lang, I think, yeah. And then Lang was the one that uh, had the X-Men um, and they went up to the satellite. Well, these are also the same ones in the earlier issues of Elswin that he had right, the, uh, the right. captured mutants in. Okay, but um, anyway, so you had – yeah, that was the Neil Adams storyline then. These are the stasis tubes that they kept, like Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and the others in. And uh, they've retrofitted it to be a suspended animation chamber because Cyclops being effectively dead, his body would decompose. And so they're just trying to do everything to, to save his body so they can reintegrate him, do a, a falter pan to put his contra back in, so to speak. Uh, but this image of the X-Men on this page is so... Cool. The X-Men, you know, all standing there and, and just the posture of each character. Kitty looks like she's really, really worried. Storm is just looking up at him with that that kind of cool, you know, exterior. Wolverine is, you know, he's you can see his posture the way he's just kind of leaning up against something. And it looks like he's got like a toothpick, you know, he's messing around in his mouth. I, I can't tell. See, the battery's really... smoking. I can't tell. No smoke, so I don't think there's smoke in the air, so I don't know that that's the case. Or maybe, okay, it could be he's got a, a, like a cigar in his hand. Yeah, it's just not, not lit. lit. Yeah, he's chewing yeah, on it. Okay, yeah, he's just chewing on it. And then Colossus, of course, standing above everyone, even in his human form. Uh, really cool. And Professor Xavier messing with all the burn tech. And, and so, I mean, this is actually an image that you can see that Burn put a lot of you know care and everything into. And then uh, as we get down further, we see things start to open up from Cyclops's point of view. That uh, progression of images on the bottom of the page, the eye with no iris or anything, and then you finally see it form up. He closes his eye, opens back up, and then all of a sudden he can see, and he's in some made-up fairyland. And he's, he's wearing got... thigh boots. Yeah, and I, I just now notice this, that his brooch... For his cloak has got an X on it. Oh yeah, 
I, I did not catch that yeah. before. I was trying to figure out what this outfit was. And I was just thinking Prince it was Charming. Robin. It looks Robin? like Robin. It looks oh, like yeah. Robin. Prince Charming is better. Yeah, it's Prince Charming. Because he okay. kind of references that it's kind of based on a little bit of Disney. Yeah, the thigh boots really bugged me. I'd rather it was riding pants. <laughs> Sorry. And, of course, we get to see Cyclops without glasses, without visor, without anything. We actually see him actually with real eyes. And he can even control his optic blast. Now, this would have been the way Cyclops would have been able to control his blast if he had not gotten injured as a child. He actually suffered brain damage. Right. And um, when he and his brother Alex were in a plane with his parents and they were attacked, uh, his mother got them in a parachute and basically threw them out the plane when his parents' plane got destroyed. And uh, falling debris hit the parachute, and Cyclops shielded Alex. And, of course, when they finally hit, Cyclops experienced some kind of brain damage, which is why he's never been able to control his optic blasts. And yet here, he's got pinpoint control. He can make his beam larger or smaller just in just thinking about it if he concentrates. That's really cool. And then we see this gigantic castle. Now, right very here, detailed. you can see very detailed in Argo Bartle down at the bottom. And I mean, this had to be a photo reference, though. He's got it. It, it, I, it I looks like a photo reference. It looks like a photo reference from a puzzle box <laughs> of a castle. I swear I've seen it before. I'm going to have to look, but I'm, I'm not going to do that right now. But that's what it makes me think of. And they say Disney, you know, the, even Disneyland can't even match for scale. So that's got to be huge. Right. And then, you of know, course, and... go ahead. Well, I was saying, well, the fact that Marvel is owned by Disney, he could actually use the Disney castle probably. Well, if this was actually being produced by Marvel. Published. Yeah. They, published, they could uh, actually use it without any rights, I would think, probably. Mm -hmm. But um, the Disney Castle design is based upon um, Cinderella's Castle say, from the no, New, New Schwanstein Castle. I've been there. Oh. Uh, doesn't exactly oh. look exactly like it, but the styling of it, it's very clear that it was patterned after it. I love the drawbridge there at the, at the front of it. The, you see how the road just kind of stops and goes down. You see, I have to yeah. assume there's a moat. Well, this is obviously a more advanced. Uh, architectural build it's not a really primitive castle it's a probably i don't know 16th very 17th tight. century it's very tight too it's not hogwarts you know no <laughs> no it's got lots of uh lots of spires lots of uh yeah um, turrets. turrets really really cool really cool and then we see gene and it it, it seems to be still the uh avatar of her but the thing that you notice throughout this whole issue is that this avatar kept reverting to a younger age and then growing up. But if you look at the hairstyle, the hairstyle has always been the telltale of what he's dealing with. And this seems to be a more aged, more mature um, kind of figure that we're seeing here. And he addresses that in the next issue, that it's to... Uh... Yeah, her, her appearance changes from a child to an adult woman. 
Right. You know, you know but in her mentality seems to change from uh, a child uh, to at one point when she first manifested herself as kind of a teenager. Mm-hmm. And here she's more of a love struck kind of teenager who wants to just create this this world that they can live in. You know, yeah. it's their family. Yeah. It's her, it's her, yeah, she's a princess. He's a prince. And they're going to live in this castle. Happily ever, happily ever after. after. Exactly. Yeah. Now this, that's the end of the story. Right. See, at the bottom is... of this last page, it says to be continued eventually. Yeah, because he'd already made it apparent on his uh, regular posts that this is the last one he's putting out. And you can see it's dated March 4th of 2022. And he put it out at 2.33 a.m. But I think that may have been GMT. I'm not sure how the, how the posting works on this site. But uh, the next one that we're about to get into, I got to pull that up. It's 32, right? Mm-hmm. And it is posted August 2nd. So, you know, three months, four months uh, later when we finally get this one. And he says, relax, this does not mean I'm back in the saddle. I just decided that since I had this completed issue sitting on my Roberger rack for months, I might as well share it. Uh, and in fact, uh, this is the issue that sent me into the doldrum as I realized the ending subplot I'd set up here was not working. And he puts in uh, uh, parentheses, think of Peter's leg. So I, uh, if I do somehow manage to get back to work, the last several pages of this are going to be redone. Anyway, we begin. Merry Christmas. And so, Tim, if you uh, now, uh, Kirk, do we have enough time to continue on? I know we're running over, obviously, because we did have a lot of conversations at the beginning of the show. Uh, are you are okay? You with... If I can stay, yes, I yeah. can. Okay, good. good. Well, we'll we'll try to pick up the pace a little bit. Yeah, I'll, I'll, this I'll synopsis is not quite as long as my other one. So, ah. our final up to date, our final issue of Elswin, uh, issue thirty-two, is entitled "Twice Upon a Time," and we continue. J. Jonah Jameson wrote another special editorial from the Daily Bugle. We have reports from the Salem Center Town Hall that three members of the town council disappeared after paying a visit to Xavier's school for gifted children. The staff report they were investigating a loss of contact from Charles Xavier. Rumor has it the school was destroyed. Foul play is suspected. We have further reports from an informant inside the Latvian embassy. Dr. Doom has kidnapped the mutant Nightcrawler and teleported to his castle in Latveria. The following is speculation from a former servant at the dictator's home. Dr. Doom may want to experiment on the teleporting mutant for reasons unknown, possible interdimensional travel. More information has come in concerning the battle downtown with the FF. After Dr. Doom disappeared, Magneto attacked the thing, encasing his body in a mass of metal. Witnesses say Mr. Fantastic used a device to disrupt Magneto's Energy flow, and Sue Storm used her invisibility powers to help Ben break out of his steel prison. We sp- we are nuts. We 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 speculate the X Men have returned to their a- HQ, has placed the injured Scott Summers in a stasis tube. They must have witnessed the fight in New York on TV because shortly after they arrived to help the FF. Onlookers say mutants known as Storm, Cyclops, and Wolverine and a young girl landed and attacked the Master of Magnetism. Magneto had recovered his helmet and was attacking Reed Richards, 
when, when Sue Storm blasted him. He was reported to have escaped through the pavement. The young girl with the mutants possibly sank through the ground after him. We have no reports on where she went, but it is known that the New York underground is full of tunnels and hidden layers with massive technology. Our psychics speculate Scott Summers may have been trapped in a fantasy world with a being who believes herself to be Jean Grey. She likely has created an entire world for the two to inhabit, complete with the princess's castle. They worry Scott maybe must play along with a being or she could become hostile. She has the mind of a child and the powers of a god. We can assume Professor Xavier and the real Jean Grey would attempt to help Scott with their alleged mental powers. Reports have now come in that Colossus and Wolverine have attacked the Latveri Embassy. Witnesses say the two mutants caused several thousand dollars of damage to the building and the embassy's robots. A servant that fled the embassy reported Wolverine forced a female to tell him where Doom was. Before she fled, Wolverine opened a door and disappeared. It has been suggested the room was a teleporter to Doom's Latverian castle. If this is true, when Wolverine would certainly encounter more Doombots when he arrived. More to come. And that's the new story for that issue. Yeah, now, it, this is one of those where, uh, again, he knows it's the last one he's putting out. Um, and he puts some notes in here uh, throughout the story. Now, this um, plot where they've got the three people coming to the, what, what was the mansion. Um, you know, I mean, it's just kind of it's just kind of dressing, you know. There's obviously something down in there. Is that the leftover remains of the Dabari? I that's what I suspect. Yeah. Okay. Um, Burn a difficulty getting the pages to come up. Um, so, okay, yeah, yeah. Here he is at the bottom of the page where the the guy's talking to Rudy over the cell phone, uh, and they hear him get attacked or whatever. And you can see in the 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 image before last that there's something that's standing up and it doesn't look really human it looks like it's shambling or, or or something trying to form itself into a humanoid shape and at the bottom of the page it says alas poor rudy this was the start of the developing subplot about the scrap of asparagus that was left behind a while back so it's talking about the last of the the dabari that was left now the one that we know of is vuk that one vuk was gone right or was vuk dead i don't remember. he left i thought one of them left in he a left. ship yeah, that was, I think that was Book. Because he got used later in uh, other Marvel comic books, whereas the other ones were just, you know. So Book had other stories, I believe. So he's re revisiting a subplot here. Yeah. Then this is all we get. And to your point, it is feels like it's distressing to, for why these, why would these council members come out just because they haven't heard from Xavier? Does he correspond with them regularly? Or, you know, just for them to find... It's, it's set up just so they can establish that, I don't know, what this guy, Rudy, gets attacked by, um, whatever this creature is, that because he's gone down into the basement looking for uh, just clues. Do you think the first thing they would do when they saw the house as a pile of rubble would be to call the authorities? Yep. They start, you know, no, it's okay. I'll just go down inside. <laughs> I thought this was the uh, housing authority, the... Uh, the uh local group that were going to evict them that they were going to complain <laughs> about the noise but no, when it, they get there the house has already collapsed i just thought it, this was advancing the idea that the x-men are transferring from uh, the mansion to the cliffside uh, headquarters of the the sentinels 
Yeah, and these are the it HOA people yeah. coming in to, to cite them for many violations. Um, and, and this is what you want to have, have happen to those HOA people. Right. You know, that's right. Such the rules say you cannot have a hanger under your swimming pool. Well, I mean, think about everything that's down there. I mean, yes, you've got the hanger, but I guess they got the Blackbird out because the Blackbird exit, it's got several different ways it can exit from there. Um, but, I mean, the other stuff that got left behind, all the things that go into making the danger room what it is, uh, there's gases, there's you know different types of things that are incredibly flammable and explosive. Uh, that whole place is a hazard that should well, be blocked un off. Unregulated alien technology that it, I'm assuming exactly. he is not pat he is not getting, uh, you know he's not going to the government to say, well I've got this alien technology I'm using for my training room. Is it okay? Nobody's. You know, and that's one of those things that I, I kind of wish they touched on, like X-Men First Class um, and other things. There was, uh, back in the early days of the X-Men, when Lee and Kirby were doing, Charles was working with an FBI agent, Fred something. Duncan. Duncan. That's right, that's right. And th that, that whole storyline just kind of died off. And I don't know if anybody any, did anything, you know, after the burn era, after... Um, because I stopped reading X-Men around 225, somewhere in that area. And so I don't know if any other writer ever went back and picked up on the, the Duncan storyline, because that would have been really, really interesting to I see. I can tell you where it surfaces. Where? Uh, when the, about approximately issue 43 uh, of the original run, when Professor X allegedly dies, not a dream, not a hoax. Right really happens that was that was uh, the fbi right? agents step in and say okay folks our agreement was with xavier he's dead now you have to disband and that's about the last time that you hear from him as the x-men right. allegedly right. split that. up well they was it duncan the... himself that told him to split up or was it say it again was it duncan himself that told him they had to split up I believe so. As I recall, I'll have to go back and look at that. It was the FBI, one or two F agents that were there, either at a memorial service or something. But he says, "Hey, folks, um, the, the you know the dream is over. You have to go your separate ways." So literally, I think it's Roy Thomas who's writing. He splits up the X Men. In the next issue, there's a solo adventure with uh, Gene and and Cyclops, and a separate adventure with Bobby and Hank. Yeah, they were adventure. they were trying different things, trying to see what would help the book sales because they were having such a hard time with it. And they ultimately right. wind up canceling it and doing reprints. Well, in those early issues, they weren't quite the outcasts they would later be written as. Yeah. At the point, they were kind of working with the government. They weren't. Uh, my my whole point on that, though, is that Oliver Platt, you know, played an FBI or CIA agent in X-Men First Class, and they never give a name to him. And I just thought it would have been really cool if, that, if they said that he was Fred Duncan. You know, they just the, never. Well, he was kind of the Guyrich, Henry Guyrich to the uh, X-Men. Like, uh, well, Guyrich he was an Andrews. advocate. He was an advocate for them, you know. And so he, he, he was a good guy and he wound up getting killed by Azazel, you know, just like all the other people there. He gets lifted up or uh, teleported hundreds of feet in the air and dropped. And I was just like, man, that's just such a, you know. It just wasn't a good handling of it. But still, that's a much better movie than a lot of the other X-Men movies. So I can't complain a whole lot. That and X-Men 2 are my favorite of those all those X-Men movies. Moving on, though. 
um, we d didn't get back to the Doom story. And man, that, that uh, Doom bot's got a massive thigh gap there, doesn't it? Looks like he's trying to be Kim Kardashian. Um, <laughs> and you can barely tell, but there's a woman back there with an oh my gosh look on her face. Do you yeah, see that? It's like a maid. Yeah. She's dressed as a maid. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, funny detailed. in the uh, very detailed when... page. Yeah, it's at the. I don't know why the Doombot would be kind of reacting the way he is. He, I would think they'd be kind of emotional. So he seems startled. Well, um, he's startled because they teleported in. Yeah, but I would think a Doombot would maybe. And what's even funnier is when at the bottom when he go through their little his little. I, I portal, think I got an explanation for that, Tim. Uh, an explanation for all the things that have happened that just seemed kind of odd. Um, but go ahead and continue on. Well, I just say that when he when he teleports to his home castle, mm -hmm. the Doombot gives him a Nazi salute. Look at it, the bottom. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and the castle looks surprisingly like the fantasy castle that <laughs> Jean Grey created. Well, we only see little bits of it to tell. But the architecture seems there. to be the safe. But I tell you this, uh, not the first image. The first image looks like a lot of good burn tech when Doom carries Nightcrawler in there and you see the dead Nightcrawler body. Ugh. Um, but the next page, he slaps him down on the table and all the restraints come up. But all that technology he's got in there to do what he wants to do, it doesn't look like your typical burn tech. It looks more like Mobius. You're right. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. I mean, just a all the swirl circles, yeah, circles, yeah, a and lot swirls. of circles and and a non, you know, non-linear uh, architecture. It's just very curvy, not curvy, but curvy. Uh, but that's really good. And then that bottom image of Nightcrawler's face, so close up to what we call the camera, that it's kind of blurred. And that's an intentional thing by Byrne. That's I get a great shot, a close-up of. Nightcrawler's face in profile, yep. you see his teeth, and then Doom's kind of looming over to and try he, to explain. Yeah, and he's close enough to Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler can see the scarring behind the mask and the eyelids. Yeah, yeah. Burn always did that. Burn always liked to tell yes. that his give that hint that he's he's kind of disfigured underneath that mask. Um, maybe that's that he's using it because those are some those are supposed to evoke some type of lenses or something. That's why he's. Uh, he's obviously trying to harness his uh, his teleportation power. Which yeah, we kind of find out what what we don't find out what what's going to happen because then we jump back to kind of him playing with time again. We see that last of that scene where we see Nightcrawler disappearing, um, and I've noticed on his onomatopoeias for Nightcrawler, he is. He is doubling up on the the wording. It's bamf and almost bamf below it. Yeah. Well, the now you're talking about when Doom is forcing him to teleport, right? Yeah. Because yeah, and what they're saying here is that Doom's using it, and he doesn't have Nightcrawler's finesse. No, so it's kind so of stuttering. It, yeah, there's a shockwave. Sue Sue states there's some kind of shockwave, and see, and yeah. says, yeah, it doesn't have Nightcrawler's normal uh, finesse. So, yeah, and, and Ben even says, feels like my guts just turned inside and out. So yeah. they're feeling that realm and something from that realm. 
kind of interesting here, though, looking at the thing. It seems like Byrne has been putting thing on the right hand of most of the images that he's been drawing. Is that are you guys noticing that or is that just what do you mean? Hmm. Well, if you go back and look over the images of Ben in this issue and the last issue, he seems to be on the right side of the panel facing, you know, his left side facing us. Yeah. It just yeah. seems to be. I, I don't know why, but yeah, I agree. He's been doing that. Yeah. The that image of Reed above that, I don't know if he's supposed to be kind of distorted, but his yeah. arms look wrong. His uh, his torso looks wrong. I mean, he got hit. He, but yeah, but he as he's moving in towards Nightcrawler and Doom, he's getting hit by that shockwave. Yeah. It's just that Burn doesn't doesn't represent the shockwave. As a shockwave, yeah. Yeah. So like Sue looks like she's trying to hang on as she's moving forward. And it, the shockwave itself could be the shockwave of Magneto's powers. He's trying to do whatever and he's being negated. Maybe that's how Doom is able to uh, teleport Nightcrawler away. Possibly. Hmm. And then Magneto turns on, which is interesting because he says, I will I will deal with you the way I had before. And, and that's when Ben yeah. says, well, no, what are you talking about? You never defeated us. Yeah, this isn't that fantastic for mm -mm. that. I mean, just that world of heroes had to be like weak sauce. I'm sorry. But yeah, he uh, just crunches yeah. him up in the car. <laughs> that had to be several cars because, you know, like a, a Ford or Mercury, that just wouldn't fit around them like that. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's probably several cars. It, it actually makes me think of the, the Porsche that uh, the thing crunched up in the Fantastic Four movie. The first one, the Tim Story oh, movie. And he throws it. He throws it at yeah. Johnny. Yeah, it was Johnny's car, if I remember right. Well, yeah, and it, this is a nice little scene where you know he's he's surrounded by all this metal, and and Sue says, "Oh, he doesn't know, he can't tell um, up from down." So she basically makes part of it transparent or invisible, so he knows which way to punch out. But yep. he just punched out from all directions. He's bound to with his hands and feet. He's bound to get out of that thing. I don't think he has to know. He has to necessarily punch up. Well, he's floating up in the air and it's turning and everything. You're inside and you don't know which way is up. It makes no. it very hard for you to brace yourself and do something. Also, there's just the sea sickness or car sickness that you experience by that. And, and while the thing's organs aren't the same as ours, I'm sure he, yeah. he's, he's said on more than one occasion how he's gotten queasy at things. So you're giving him that visual cue to know exactly where he is and he knows how to punch out. I mean, it, it makes sense to me, but I understand your concerns and too. It, it makes, well, it's a nice scene for teamwork, you know, to show them yep. how they work together um, to get him out. And then we, then we can jump back to our other storyline of um, them looking at Scott trying to still you know, this, determine this what's page, going on with him. This page makes me think of Hidden Years so much because it almost looks like Tom Palmer took a pass at it, you know, and tried to give it a little bit of Adam's flair. Mm -hmm. Kitty, Kitty's character, Xavier's character, uh, more so on a, another page as we as we get to it. Yeah, the next page has got a little bit of that Adam's flair to it as well. But it looks like Tom Palmer's been helping out <laughs> Looks like Byrne wasn't quite satisfied with Cyclops' midriff. Yeah. It looks like he whited it out and redrew it. 
Maybe he had a beer gut or something. I don't know. <laughs> or something. Oh, no, no, it was the bulge. He he was kind of, you know, worried about that uh, Dick Grayson bulge. <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. Uh, <laughs> but then on the next page, they see what's going on. The live superhero showdown. I guess that CNC that they're watching, the CNC network. And that, that second panel, Xavier is very Neil Adamsy with the shadowing on his face. Is what I was what I was talking about. It's almost got a little bit cockroom eyebrows. Yeah, it definitely got a Neil. Um, now, kind of the Dutch angle to it. Yeah. Does any do any of you question Xavier sending Sprite into battle with Storm Colossus and Wolverine? She is still so new, and this is Doctor Doom, Magneto, the the worst the, the worst of the worst, and yeah, the he's two sending big bads. Her in, yeah, in with him. And they don't have Cyclops to lead them in. And Storm at this point is not a tested leader. Well, and to that point, Wolverine, as good yeah, as he is, is, has not worked with his team. Right. He And he is so new. And, and to them, they're not going to know what to expect from him. They're, yeah, this is a crazy, crazy segment. But uh, still, I like it. Um but I mean, we get so much of, of reading them and then Storm coming down on Magneto. Now she's this is a storm that's experienced what Magneto can do to her power. And yet she's got no fear of attacking him. And what she's hitting him with is not lightning. But something else that's showing a kind of an odd Kirby crackle. Yeah, I don't know what she's attacking him with. Yeah, she just says the unleashed forces of nature are stronger than he is. And he, you know, he he doesn't want to stand around and find out. So he basically opens up a hole and disappears into the ground. Um, Cause when you think about it, he never had to fight this Magneto never had to fight these X-Men like this. Cause remember he never fought the all new, all different X-Men. Cause Xavier was killed by Lucifer. Yeah. He fought the original. That's right. Once he turned. So more than likely, this storm is still walking through the deserts of Cairo or, you know, uh, Having never, Ken, never, Kenya. Yeah, never been re recruited. Right. Wolverine is up in Canada, maybe. Colossus is on a farm in, in Russia. These X-Men, you know, he's never dealt with these directly, so he doesn't know how to fight them. Ooh, that's that's really interesting. But then we get to the subplot that pretty much killed the series. And that's Kitty going after him. Now, why do you send Kitty after him? She I don't think they did. She just did it herself. No, she no just... I, I mean, oh. Storm says Sprite, but it's not like Sprite, stop. You know, she's just kind of like, maybe that's what she's saying, Sprite, stop. But she just I think says she's Sprite. telling her, yeah. I think because she's, she's getting away. I got to go after him. I think she's saying, no, Kitty, don't. And Kitty's being... Uh, impulsive, impulsive, exactly, and she's going yeah. My into a... my when I first read it, and I wasn't thinking of it that way. I was almost thinking of it because everything else in this has been someone saying someone else's name, and the other person knowing, okay, I've got to react like this, like Sue, and then Sue goes Ben, and then Ben punches out. So here's this, and it's like Sprite, I'm on it, I'm jumping after him. You know, that's that's the way I kind of looked at it. But no, you're right. That's more Storm should be saying. Stop, don't. Right, yeah. Well, because earlier she says, 
stay back. She tells Sprite to stay back. And then, um, you know, while she's phasing, really, Kitty can't be hurt. But so I don't know where this, since you keep up with more of his stuff on his website, did he hint anywhere where this is? This is obviously not Magneto's lair. Yeah, the bottom of the next page says, this is where things started to go off the rails. He says, for a second time, I was attempting to introduce this subplot of Kitty finding some of the Mole Men's tunnels and encountering Pixie from the Lost Generation. Quickly realized that once again, it was not going to work. This is this is the, the storyline that just kind of, I don't know where to go with this. So if he ever does go back to all this, that storyline is going to disappear. You know, you're just going to have Kitty coming out of the sewer or whatever saying, nope, can't and find him. be fine. Yeah, he could, yeah. she could just reemerge and say, hey, I lost him. And just leave yeah. it that. And then, of course, we go back to the Scott and Jean in the castle uh, way high up in the sky. And Jean, you know, just wanting, you know, them to be the happy, the happily ever after uh, couple. And Cyclops is like, no, no, your mind is still a child. That would be wrong. And she does something to him that makes him start turning into what looks like man thing. Yeah. I didn't know what that was. She did obviously turn him into something, right? Without color, you can't tell. Is it kind of a slimy looking thing? But you see 10, it's almost like John Carpenter's the thing. Mm-hmm. He's some kind you of know, a blobby thing. I with an don't eye. know what it is, but it's weird and it's pissed off. Well, this is a little, this gave me, uh, when, when he says, you know, you're, He's thinking, you've got the mind of a child, and says, no, I, you know, I can hear your thoughts, I'm not a child. And he said, no, you've given yourself the body of a grown woman, but you still have a mind of a child. And that's when she reacts and makes him this blobby thing. But yeah, I got flashbacks of, uh, if you've ever read Green Lantern, when, uh, is it Arissa? Mm-hmm. Was a child, Green Lantern, and she fell in love with Hal, um, Hal Jordan, and she artificially aged herself because she, you know, he... he couldn't he couldn't be involved with a 12 year old however old she was so she aged herself up to be an adult but she still had the mind of a child and then they they actually had a relationship so that was kind of weird so that's kind of what i was the five i was getting here yeah call chris henson please (laughs) (laughs) okay all right so uh moving on from that particular story i could like like uh we get back to uh professor xavier and gene and obviously, you can tell the difference between one gene and the other because of the hair. Mm-hmm. Um, this this gene with, with her hair makes me think of um, Julianne Moore in the early two thousands. Whereas the other gene, uh, I, I don't know, definitely a different look. Well, you know, we, we talked about when she was when she was Phoenix. She had her hair was much more kind of poofy, you know. And yeah, it was definitely more, and curly and almost like it was. Uh, more animated, but this one is more just a way to distinguish the two, you know. And they Jean, Dark Phoenix's hair was hot '80s rock video hair. Yep, yep. that's kind that's a, that's what it is. Tawny Katane kind of hair. Um, yeah. There you go. Plane flying overhead. Yep. Well, it's uh, I think it's Red Week here. They call it Red Week at uh, Nellis when ah. they do all the testing and all the pilots come in, and so they fly out. Okay, so the that. Runs. The, the the scene of Professor X and Jean talking about Cyclops is pretty much just the thing that trying to get them to work together to uh, figure out what to do about the Phoenix Avatar. 
not entity, but avatar. And that's the thing you've got to differentiate. When you think of Phoenix now, this isn't Phoenix. This is simply the vessel that the Phoenix created to house it and Gene's um, psyche that it it absorbed. But it has some, it may not have Phoenix's full power, but it has some of. Yeah, it does have some of the reality reality warping right but then everything is doing right now is on a more of an astral plane too it's not in regular reality she created a reality of her own but it's not not real no but she well that's okay that's the case it was the house when she created the house or it's was that all? as real as she needs it to be right because so, she made a comment like that it made me think of the um the telosians in the the cage or the menagerie mm-hmm you know, as real and whatever as you want it to be. So everything but, uh, is right. So when she turns yeah. Scott into this blobby thing, she didn't actually transform him. But in his mind, she made him think he was this thing. So it's, if it all could be, to your point, it's on the astral plane. It's all mental. Right. Um, but every thought of hers can become reality there. Right. Well, look, look at uh, when she transforms him or what have you, and it goes slush. Look at what he's drawn there. There are several tentacles mm-hmm. that are rising up. There looks like one one spinal column and then several tentacles that are reaching up. And then the eyeball thinks Gene, and then she kind of reconstitutes him. It's kind yeah, of she's uh, trying Lovecraftian type of uh, un undescribable horror that she has turned him into something. Yeah, yep. and like, like I said, John Carpenter's the thing mm-hmm. is is what it made me think of. But yeah, I, I, there's a good analogy there. Um, on our next page, you know, like I said, we have the professor and Gene, and then you have at the very bottom Wolverine and Colossus in their flying car, and Wolverine goes, you know, jumping out to uh, alarms, going blat 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 blat. <laughs> I love that, but. He's got blat, 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 blat across the top of the screen in a very tight mechanical uh, font. So that's very, very good, as you say, onomatopoeia. Yeah. And then the Doombots come out in full force. And uh, Wolverine makes comment saying that he and Doom have got an understanding from years back. So Logan at some point uh, during or after it – had, it'd have to be after the Invaders, obviously – uh, must have had, on the behalf of Canada, dealings with Doctor Doom. And it might have been, yeah. Uh, I won't, I won't encroach on Latveria. You leave Canada alone. Maybe that sort of agreement. He must have done a can opener job, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so that's. Uh, I mean, it, Byrne wouldn't make this comment unless he meant to pay it off later. Yeah, and, it's coming. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just it just kind of hints at what they used to do with Wolverine before they came out and gave us his full origin. That it just hinting yeah. at of stuff in the background, you know, that he had dealings with Doom before. Yeah, um, and then Colossus finally gets into the fray. Colossus finally goes to his full metal form, and he's commenting about Wolverine, saying, "How can he ever be part of the team when he's like that?" And then next thing you see. He gets in there and he takes out four of the Doombots all with one big punch. 
that whole next uh, image is the the four sentinels crashing into one part of Doom's mansion castle. Yeah. Well, this we talked about this last episode. This this when they since they have reconstituted Wolverine's um, memory and he has mm-hmm. been reset, so he's the more feral, more savage Wolverine. Yeah. Yep. And so they've made Burn is, I mean, Burn is on several occasions made the characters comment on, oh, how can he, he's a loose cannon. He can't possibly be part of this team. And I don't remember when he, after Giant Size X-Men number one, and he, so that's when you get Wolverine incorporated into the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Talk like that amongst the other members, that there was ever that he was too violent to be a part of the team. And I think that'd be the same reaction then that they're having now uh there was i mean we saw it and i want to say it was the savage land but that is many many issues in yeah but in the first golly i'm I'm trying to think if there was something happened in the first couple of issues i i do remember that there was a little bit of friction and then again i might be conflating that with the the stuff that Claremont and John Bolton did in the classic X-Men reprints where they added extra scenes and such in there. But uh, yeah, not not as much as you would think, you know, based on what Burns doing here, but I kind of like this. Well, it could Um, be if it was, if they were, if they were, if he would establish more that it was their reaction to this is a new Wolverine that we got used to the the more mellowed out Wolverine, and now he's reverted back to more of a uh, a lone wolf, and he's kind of a uh, you know he hasn't integrated himself with the team yet, although he hasn't seen have a problem working with him. Right. That it it seems to be it's almost like they're reacting to this for the first time, as opposed to well we went through this you know timeline. This is what maybe a year or two. How long has he been? He would have been with the team. Could have been more than a couple of years, right? Right. I mean it. It would be a couple years, but I just don't know how long. Yeah, you know? I don't either. Anyway, but it, it's nice to see Wolverine kind of... I love that scene of him jumping out of the car, and I like the fact that Cyclops has kind of done it at 90 degrees. He's kind of almost... He's got the, the ship turned um, yeah. vertically, and Wolverine jumps out and pops his claws. He's got that He's got that um, grin on his face that you know he knows <laughs> what he's fixing to get into. It's what he's been looking for. I wish they would have shown more of it. But I mean, yeah. he keeps showing face shots, and then of course Wolverine gets a hold of that woman and just terrorizes her. <laughs> and like I mean, Ed, the, looks like it's funny because he never has his claws out around her, and yet here's this guy who's not much taller than she is, and he scares the ever-loving crap out of her. Nurse Colossus, who's like seven yeah. feet tall, <laughs> and she's not even giving him a second look. And then, uh, you know, Wolverine gets in there. They open that door, which is, you know, he, you know, Wolverine says he's got the whiff of the eau de crawler. Yeah. But they get that door. And that, of course, is the door that should lead to the Latverian castle from the embassy, which is where they're at. And yeah. Wolverine goes through it. And that, the, the, the way he did those lines around him are so weird. I mean, that's the teleportation effect, I'm assuming. Yes, or dimensionally traveling, yeah. and then he comes into the other other one that's on the other side, and you see what looks like huge vacuum tubes and other pieces yeah, of uh, those technology. Are, uh, 
Well, that's very reminiscent of him going into the Watcher's uh, habitat yeah, yeah. on the moon. Yeah, but the, those vacuum tubes or whatever they are make me think of the Bottle City of Candor. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. I, I want to ask a question on the page right uh, on mine. It's page eighteen, where he's Colossus is telling him to you know be gentle with a woman. She's not a robot. And he said, "No, no, no, it's fine." He says, "Oh, unlax, Petey." Yeah. Instead of relax, is that a? You think unlax is that a Canadian saying or? No, I've never I've heard seen that. that thrown in a couple of times. I've never, I think I've never writer, heard that expression. I, I think writers use it, but I don't think in any anybody uh, else does. Um, yeah. It's. I'm, I'm trying to see if uh, the dictionary's got any, you know. It's based, yeah, because they're just saying it's relaxing. But uh, so it's actually covered in the dictionary. Um, trying to see if there's a history real quick. Nope, nothing. Let's move back to the story at hand. Yeah. Just a, a very unusual term to throw in there, but you go ahead and give it to this um, Wolverine that's not quite the guy that we're used to. Hello? Hello. No, I, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I, thought, yeah, I, thought, no. I, thought I lost it. It loses. No, you're right. It's uh, and then we live. We and then the same as we leave on a great splash page cliffhanger where Wolverine comes up against three what I think are real Doom bots. Um, well, no, they're not. Um, think it's the real Doom. Well, first off, before the, the during the image where Wolverine's going through the thing, Byrne uh, actually posted the last two pages. Um, on one day because he just didn't want to sit there and drag this into the next week. Pe like people, the cliffhanger right before another cliffhanger. But you see Wolverine goes into this room and then there are three dooms there. And, you know, Wolverine says, looks like my cup runneth over. And he's got his claws out. He's perched. He's ready. And it says the next issue is titled fairy tales can come true. And I'll say it can happen to you if you're young at heart. Okay. But it says at the very bottom of the page, um, after the image, Byrne wrote, and no, those are not Doom robots. The good doctor's scheme here involves using Nightcrawler's interdimensional teleportation to tap into parallel universes to bring in alternate versions of himself. So they're all, it's like the Council of, of Dooms. Yeah. All is part of a plan to invade Mephisto's realm and yet another attempt to rescue Doom's mother. Oh, okay. So it's both. So, he's, he's gathering other versions yeah. of himself. To help him out. And the story is Wolverine in hell. And that's the last we got of him. Now, he said that's a terrible place to leave it because I really want to know. I want I want to put all the gene stuff away. I really want to see what yeah. happens in this story. I think the next issue would have been the wrap up of the gene story. Right. For the time being so that they can focus on this and whatever. And, and then the kitty subplot that they had and that he had and but again he has said um before he stopped that he was going to provide us some more stuff because he's got a lot of pages of art he just doesn't have it all put together as the rest of the sequential story because he just wasn't sure where to take one subplot and another one and he just got fried he just didn't you know it, it didn't intrigue him inspire him anymore to continue and so he stopped 
So well, well, hopefully he comes back to it. I think he will. I think he'll he won't be able to leave it alone if he's got unresolved. Yeah, and 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 he's gonna basically just kind of wipe out the subplots that he doesn't like. Like he'll just have Kitty come back out of there saying all clear here, you know. And, yeah, I mean, he do whatever he wants. Then, it's not. And then yeah, but it's whether or not he feels like doing it again. Whether or not he is able to do it any further. I, it, you know, there's so many things to think of. Just imagine yourself for that moment. You're going, okay, I've got to draw the thing fighting something. How do I want to do this? Do I want to do it from the left or the right? Do I want to do back, front? Do I want to do it upside down? Or do I, you know, he doesn't, he, he, he can't even sit there and conceive of where to start the camera from. Yeah. To create well, the image because he just doesn't know where he's going. And he's done it so many times over 50 years that nothing is new. Could could Doom work with himself? I mean, could Doom's ego allow him to work with even another version of himself? Every version is going to... When they yeah. have done this sort of thing in the past, there's always some dissension among the ranks. Like there'll be one Doom or one Kang who will be plotting against the rest of them. Or all of them are. They won't all of them think it. they're the superior one. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah, so I mean that's again it's it's one of those storylines and it seems like it's more of a Fantastic Four storyline than an X-Men storyline it just happens to be using the X-Men. But you know again Elseworn didn't have to be just solely the X-Men and we've seen that in all the stuff he's done. He brought in the Avengers and the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and other characters it's just been, you know, the cavalcade of what he wanted to draw, what he wanted to use. And and to Right, and because he has no editor, he he's doing whatever he wants. You know, if this was actually being published, an editor might have guided him to like, no, you can't have those characters. Don't go that way. Keep it focused on the X Men. You know, and uh, yeah, but he can do whatever comes to mind. Right, right, and that's part of the reason why he wound up not publishing this at Marvel. I mean, here it is, a, a ship in the bottle kind of thing, because it's independent of everything else that's being published at Marvel. And he's like, yeah, I'd just like to be able to do it the way I want to do it. But editors of other books would have to be able to approve his use of Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, you know, any of the, any of the other characters, even oh. though the, the, the story has no bearing on anything else that's done. And yet there would be editors that say, no, no, you can't use this character. Well, I think they would have to establish that it was like an, it was like a Elseworld or a what if or a, a different timeline, that way it doesn't affect anything and he can do whatever he wants. Right, um, exactly. But still, there are so many guys that, so many editors that hold, hold on to their stuff so tightly as to not, you know, let him do something. It, it, it's like when Burton <coughs> was wanting to use a character in one of his books and he went to the editor of the, of the book that that character is a villain in, I think it was the chameleon he wanted to use. And so he went to the Spider-Man guys and said, hey, I'd like to use the chameleon. And started, oh, we have plans for him. And it turned out their plans for him were from two years later. They, they weren't going to use him for two years. And yet they wouldn't let Byrne use him for that. That's not, you know, editorial protecting the characters. That's editorial keeping your thumb down on everyone and saying, we're the boss here and you don't have any rights. Or I don't like this. I don't like John Byrne, so I'm going to say no. It's again when you're dealing with 
artistic types and not business types in a situation like that, you're going to wind up with egos and pissing contests. Oh, and agreed. that's that that's really kind of what chased him away from, you know, places like Marvel. I mean, Joe Casada just chased John Byrne away because Joe Casada didn't like John Byrne, the person. He liked his art, but he didn't like the person. What was it? Uh, have we ever confirmed if if he tried to get this published through Marvel? Did he turn them down or did they turn him down? Okay, he went to CB. Well, CB Sabolsky approached him at one of the cons, uh, I think up in Boston, like the one where you got to see him, I think, mm-hmm. and said, Hey, we would really, really like to publish this. And Byrne says, Okay, well, let's talk about it. And so uh, they let Byrne sit for a while. And six months later, he runs into Sabolsky later and he goes, So what's going on here? And he goes, Well, we just, we've got so much X Men stuff going on right now um, that's really important. And Byrne goes, so this isn't important. And when he heard that, he just started really thinking about it. And then he started thinking about what editorial would do to him. That for whatever reason, editorial would still be making decisions on what he could or couldn't do in his book. And he just said, you know what? I don't want to deal with it. So I'm just going to put it on my page. I'm just scratching an itch. I'm just having my fun with this. And so he he just decided not to do it. Now, is that C.B. Sobolski's fault? Or is that whoever's editing the X-Men book's fault at the time? Or would it still have happened anyway, even if they said, let's jump on this, let's go ahead and do it, and they say you can have carte blanche to do whatever you want, would he still have done it? Well, we want this new inker to come in and work with you on it. Or an editor who's sitting there saying, hey, why don't you use this character? You know, they're real popular right now. Why don't you put this character? There's so many things to consider that they could have done to him that he just, you know, didn't want to deal with. Like, just say after all this time, let him do what he wants to. But not everybody's going to give him that hand. Well, everybody's going to look at, you know, I'm sure it's a matter of how much is it going to cost to pay him? How much is it going to cost to produce the book? You know, what's projected sales of this book? Do we do it as a, a single issue? Do we release it as a big tomb? Yeah, because does he does he still have his big 50, which he, he didn't at that point? It would sell. I mean, I think you could sell this as individual issues, and then you combine them. So you get your double sales. You get your individuals, your floppies that people want to buy, then you put it out as a... Uh, as an omnibus or whatever. yeah, the big the Deluxe big money's in the in the trade paperbacks and exactly because that's I mean, going to that hit is... all the bookstores and all that right, you right, know, right. and that, that's where they're making their bread and butter right now. Yeah. I mean, does the, the sales of the the comic books itself is an afterthought? Yeah, you know, it's going to sell digitally. You know, it'll be on yeah. Marvel Plus unlimited, unlimited. comicsology. And... Yeah, exactly that. You know, and I'm sure there are people that are looking at like, okay, well. Could any of this possibly damage our X-Men brand, even though it's using most of the characters that we're not using now? Could it damage the FF brand? Could it damage uh, anything? You know, somebody's looking at that, I guess, to see what it could be, you know, stuff that probably we're not doing in the 80s when they were. Yeah, but but the thing is, is that in today's day and age in the comic book industry, every time uh, an acclaimed writer or artist goes to DC or Marvel 
and they want to tell a story about any one of the characters, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, so on and so forth. They're giving their own take now and they're ignoring continuity and they're putting out a story that has no bearing on any and all of that anymore. Continuity is, is now no longer. Which is why, you know, I, don't, why the, I, don't, in, yeah, I don't see them being resist, resistant to doing this because it's, they're not at hold to continuity the way they used to be. Um, you know, let me put this to you. If this was Perez and mm-hmm. he has been doing this and he was doing, you know, Titans, that's a book that he was famous on. And right. he was doing the same thing. He had done all this Titan work that this is how I would have done it. Do you think DC would have would put that out? If Perez had done an Elswin style right. if, thing if he with had, the Titans? Right. If he had, well, well, I'm just picking Titans because that's probably his most famous. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, 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 they're going to ask one question and then they're going to let him do what he wants. That one question is, are you going to have a 16-year-old have sex with, a, with a, an older man then again? <laughs> wow. And, and, and George is going to say, I don't know, no, no. Of course not. Of course not. But beyond that, I, I, you know, it's again, it, it uh, all the a lot of this is speculation just based on the information that we've been presented. Right. Um, ultimately, what it boils down to, though, is is that he's not doing anything right now. He's just enjoying, uh, and he's accepted the word retirement. He's enjoying his retirement now. Will it, it, he get another itch? Will it still be X Men, or will it be something else? I mean, what is he doing with his free time right now? Is he reading anything? I don't think he's read. I don't think he's read any comic books in a long time. Well, he may uh, be reading. He may be reading other stuff. He's doing his Legos. He's doing. He's, he's doing his Legos. TV, going to movies. Yep. He's uh, enjoying. You know, he's probably putting around his little, his little um, studio. You know, he's. I'm sure he's. Whether he says he is or not, he's doodling or he's sketching something. You know, he's. Uh, He's probably doing more Photoshop stuff. He's doing his uh, spider, um, Star Trek stuff because he's kind of self-taught him all that digital work. So I, I still think that he's going to be doing something with IDW. And I, I don't know if it's just going to be a Fometi format or if there's something else. Um, well, they do live him. I think when he was doing his Star Trek, he was kind of had free reign to whatever he yeah. wanted to do. So I think yeah. that's a more... Uh, pleasant uh relationship with them so he well, may go back and, and to do trek keep in mind though that was when chris rael was running the show at idw and he's no longer there he's at a different company whatever company that holds the rights to dick tracy which i didn't think anyone actually held the rights to dick tracy but uh yeah because um so so chris rael's not there anymore so is his relationship with them still good a good question they're still putting out star trek stuff so i think it would sell i mean and those came out every two months i think Mm -hmm. Uh, and they were a a, kind of a big format they were a little more expensive books but uh, i'd really love to see a john byrne godzilla comic that's what i'd like to see right now i don't know if that's the kind of thing we we talked about that i'd love to see him do i'd like to see him return to indiana jones or the rocketeer Mm -hmm. or some period Piece. I still want Godzilla in the Marvel Universe, like in the 70s. Because, you know, like the Avengers fought Godzilla and they, they yeah. had other stuff. They had the Red Ronin and That's whatnot. more of an Art Adams. That's more of an Art Adams. Um, or Herb Trimpey uh, kind of thing. Herb Trimpey, yeah. Is Trimpey yeah. still alive? Uh, no. 
No, but his Adams, daughter's I know, got is a, his estate. Yeah, I know Art Ad, Adams is a Godzilla fan. Um, mm-hmm. But I've actually, I think I've actually got an Art Adams print of Godzilla, very big one. I've got a very big image within art that is. I've got a Godzilla by uh, Jeff Skoda. Jeff, not familiar he, with him. He did Hard Boiled. Yeah, you would know his artwork. Oh no, that, no, uh, yeah, no, I know that. Um, Jeff, Jeff. Um, Holy cow! Because he was also the conceptual artist for the Matrix. Right. Jeff Darrow. Jeff Darrow. 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 I, no, I, I've got hard boiled in hardback here. My wife yeah. bought that for me. Yeah. A while I picked back. up a, really a, like, but... a Godzilla print from him when I was at the New York Comic Con. It was see, I'd like to see that. Yeah. He was sitting right next to. Uh, it was him and Walt Simonson, right back. Uh, back, back. So I got Walt wow. Simonson to, to sign my uh, Alien book. Uh, I see Kirk Whoa. is back, and I think yep. we are kind of wrapped this up because we run a little wrong. But we um, got to do a plug. We got to do a quick plug. Um, if, if you guys haven't listened to it yet, the Village People podcast uh, covering the village. Uh, I'm sorry, the prisoner. Prisoner. The the, the British TV series. Um, you got Paul Spataro, Andy Leyland, um, who Bill else? Robinson. Uh, Bill Robinson and Dave Pascarella. Now. Yep. Uh, Paul and Dave, I believe, had never seen the prisoner before. Correct. So they're they're going into this fresh. Whereas uh, Andy and Bill, of course, have watched and rewatched and rewatched the series over and over. I myself have watched the whole series, uh, but it's been a long time since I've watched the last episode. So I'm kind of curious what their thoughts on that are going to be because I have I had some very particular thoughts about it at the time, but uh, I, if you've never watched The Prisoner, it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, Patrick McGowan playing the great spy who wanted to retire and then is kidnapped off to this village. It looks like Six Flags without the rides. Um, that <laughs> village still exists. You can bar. you can actually visit it, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a special place. Anyway, uh, the, the Village People is their uh, podcast. The second uh, big episode is is out. They've actually it's a third episode. They've done kind of done a pre-show show, and then they've been covering each episode one by one. So it'll be an index show. Isn't Dave um, Weeder Dave Weeder in that episode well, or on that show? No, he's helping to produce uh, okay. a lot of material on the network, but he's not podcasting himself, as I understand it. Okay. Well, I want to do a shout out to Is It Jaws? Because aren't you on the latest episode of that covering License well, yeah, to Kill? We're, con- we're continuing our coverage of James Bond, the James Bond movies. We're right now, which is finishing the Timothy Dalton era and about to start the Pierce Brosnan era. But yeah, the last one that we just put out was for License to Kill, which was the last Timothy Dalton um, story. And uh, it's, it's very interesting to, to revisit that one because I, I, I'd only watched that one once uh, in the theater and I was unhappy with it then. So I didn't I haven't watched it again until I was getting ready for this uh, episode. And I enjoyed it a lot more this time than I did when I watched it in the theater. It's not a great film, but I will say that the truck chase at the end, because it's all practical, mm-hmm. is pretty yeah. fantastic. Well, and then you've got a very young Benicio del Toro mm-hmm. uh, in in the movie giving a, a really good performance as one of the bad guys. 
Um, but the, the thing is, is like when you when I first saw it in the theater, I went to the theater wanting to see a James Bond movie that followed the James Bond formula. And that's not what that movie is. License to Kill is one of those that breaks the mold and goes off in a different way. Um, so it, it, it disappointed me back then. But, you know, this time getting to sit down to, and, and look at it, you know, with older eyes and knowing that going in that it is all that it is. I was able to enjoy it a lot more and I was able to enjoy Dalton's performance uh, so much more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of different things that go into it like that. It, it was funny because at the time, Mike Grell just put out uh, or right after he put out uh, James Bond Permission to Die, which is the best James Bond movie that never got made. Uh, if you haven't read that, you should read it. James Bond Permission to Die. The first issue will just have you going. You, you feel like you're back in the 70s, but watching this other actor play Bond. It was very, very good. Uh, but that's just my opinion. Anyway, uh, anybody got anything else to plug? I think nope, that's it. Nope. Just, uh, we have some, some new stuff coming up. Uh, we're just playing with there maybe some different formats where we may have some mm -hmm. smaller shows, some, some duets as we want. We, I don't, we haven't quite figured out what we're going to call it, but it might be just pairs of us from the team doing shows. And on. to also to to wet you know grease the wheels here a little bit. Uh, Scott Gardner and I are talking about uh, doing another episode. I know we haven't done this together. This has been his baby. Uh, a, a podcast called "I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman." And so he and I are ta are been talking about doing an episode of that uh, on a very particular uh, story from the uh, '80s. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Yeah, there's some different saying. We've got some issues that might, some shows that might not be dealing with burn at all, but just right. uh, a, a topic that whoever the host is wants to talk about. So we haven't, you know, it's tentatively called scratching an itch, but we haven't, <laughs> we haven't uh, nailed down the actual format of that. But it might be, you know, Brian wants to talk about whatever. And yeah. It has nothing to do with burn, but it's a it'll be comic related. Well, I, I do have a burn thing coming up with my son Christopher, and uh, we're going to be covering the many deaths of the Batman. Yeah. Now that yeah. is different from pretty much anything else we covered in the fact that Burn wrote it, but he did not do the art. He did the right. covers, but not the interior. That's all Jim Aparo. And uh, Kirk and I have talked about doing some Namor, some John Byrne Namor. So that may be around the corner. So I'm looking forward to that. Now, yeah. don't we have some uh, mail? We have mail, but I think we've run so long. Let's save it to, uh, I don't want to short it, but we're almost right. two and a half hours here. Let's save that till. Jack, um, Nigel, we're not forgetting you. No. We will We will get to your next one, which, which we don't yeah. know what this going to be yet, but this, this officially ends elsewhere until Byrne comes out with something else. So... Uh, this year will be uh, no more Elsewhen. We've covered it for almost three years now. Yeah. Uh, one other thing to mention, uh, on our Facebook page, there is now a section for chats, group chats. Uh, that, And I've opened up one that uh, basically asks, you know, what would you like for us to cover? And we're getting a lot of really good responses, uh, some ideas and things that we could do. 
Uh, so, you know, if, if you're on our Facebook page, you can join in on that. Uh, let me see how that uh, is easily pulled up. Cause, uh, I think we get a lot of response on that. I haven't read that. Well, yet. I mean, we, we've been getting a bunch even today. And I put that thing out there weeks ago. Um, now, I see this thing differently since I'm an admin. Oh, yeah, but it's over on the right side. And it just says chats. And it says, what should we cover next? And you can go right in there and see everything that everybody's been posting since, um, when was that, January? Golly, that's a lot of stuff. Going all the way back to, uh, I don't see the date. The first day was a long one. I mean, people were just sitting there. Oh, yeah, January, uh, it looks like January 14th is when we started it. And since then, we've just gotten tons and tons of, different things people are talking about. Now, people seem to be interested in, in us kind of, um, you know, taking some of the runs and maybe doing them like we did elsewhere. Like if you wanted to do Burns' initial run on Uncanny X-Men with Claremont, and we could start from 108 and just work all the way to 143 and, you know, give it that same kind of coverage. So that would be like every couple shows we'd, uh, you know, cover one or two issues. Yeah, Pro fun. Yeah, so... There's that. We'd also could do the same thing with Hidden Years, um, you know, and then any of the other books. I think we could probably do the entire Captain America run in two episodes. But uh, there's a lot of possibilities out of possibilities out there. Even Superman. There's so much that you can cover on Superman. Fantastic Four is uh, also a. Uh, uh, a hard one because there, you know, it's a, a five year run and there's a lot of books it's in there. Undertaking, yeah. Yeah, long, long undertaking. And, um, but the Avengers run, that's 10 issues straight. And then, of course, um, the uh, Avengers run that he did later when he was just writing and he was working on West Coast Avengers. But I'd also like to do the same kind of thing for West Coast Avengers, which uh, I really enjoyed that run. And that that's possibly that those are pairs off too. Maybe, yeah. Um, you know, you and Chris want to cover the Avengers run, for example, you know, then just you two are covering that. So it, it what that allows is instead of having to try to coordinate t recording for six people or five or yeah. six people, it's easier to kind of pair off or in or three people to uh, record. And then you're not trying to, you know, wrangle cats and get everybody on, uh, on three different time <laughs> yeah. zones. Yeah. Anyway, um, so that's, you know, so you can find that chat on our Facebook group. If you're not a member, just look for us there. Third Degree Burn, we're easy to find and anybody can join. You just got to answer two questions. You know, what was your first burn book and who is your favorite burn inker? And uh, even if you don't have one, just throw a name out so that we know that you're serious because we're trying to prevent bots and other things, you know, people that uh, really have no clue. They're trying to, you know, do other things in the group than talk about burn comics. Right. So with that being said, we'd also love to get your email like the emails that we got from Nigel Spink and Jack Bond. So if you want to write us, write us at gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D uh, uh, at gmail.com. Excuse me. Then we have our uh, iTunes or what used to be iTunes, now Apple Podcast. 
where we've got five wonderful, uh, I think they're all five-star. I think there's one that's a four-star. I don't know why he gave us four. He should have given us a five. But there are five-star reviews out there. We'd love to get some more reviews by uh, other people out there because the more people that review it and give it a good good review, it opens us up to other people so they can see, hey, there's a good podcast out here to listen to. So, you know, we just want to spread our wings and let more people learn about the greatness of John Byrne. So please find a way to, to, to write us and let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you want us to do, what you don't want us to do, and maybe somewhere in the middle we'll all come together. Anybody got anything else to add? No. No. It was a, it was a, it was a fun run on the Elsewind. It was uh, – I, I highly recommend it for anybody – who is even a marginal burn fan? Seek it out. You can find them on. Um, is it um, burn victims? Burnrobotics.com. If you want to go to his site to look at them in the fan fiction or fanfic section, uh, just be sure to set your date to all so you can see every one of them. But there's uh, actually in the um, the fanfic section, someone was nice enough to create a link to each individual book in one spot. And let me take a look at that real quick. So you don't have quick. to download Sorry. the. Um, you won't have to but download the. You don't have PDF to sit there and JPEGs. try to. Well, you don't have to sit there and try to navigate every. You know that form. That form is covered in so many different. Um, uh, things because not only did he put the issues there, but he also put a comment section for each one of the issues. And as someone adds something to that, it puts it at the forefront of the of there. But there is a one discussion in there labeled X-Men Elsewhere Issue Links. And it was put together by guy Steve Gum. And it's got links to all 32 issues directly so you can go in there and read it sequentially. Now, if you go out to the Facebook forum Burn Victims, uh, Steve Wilcox or one of the people in there has uh, taken every one of those issues off a burn site and and put them into a PDF or CBR format. So you can actually download them, put them on your device and read them at your leisure. Um, so you can do that. Some people have done that and then taken them to Kinko's or some other copy place and actually had them bound into a trade paperback. But hey, you know. Someone's selling those on eBay for several hundred dollars, which is ridiculous. I can't believe people are paying money for that. But someone was nice enough to do that and actually give John uh, J John Byrne um, copies of that. So he's got those to be able to pull out anytime for reference. And that's nice. Thank you for making the link, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, that makes it that makes it real easy to find all of them at once. Well, we'll put that link. We can put that link in uh, when we post this show so that anybody who is just discovering us can go back and access all 32 issues and get caught up. Yeah, let me go ahead and send that to you since you're going to edit this one, right? You're editing this one? I'll edit this one, yeah. Okay, because I still get the other one that I'm putting out tonight. That's the uh, Cocktails and Comics. All right. Well, I guess well, that wraps it up then. That does. I want to I want to thank everybody for hanging around this long and listening. Uh, as always, thank you for downloading and you know, sharing our show and uh, listening to us. I want to thank Kirk and uh, Brian for coming on on this Sunday morning. It's always um, always a pleasure. Um, Tim, I want to thank you for writing those uh, synopses. They they were brilliant. Um, oh, thank you. Re really, really a lot of fun to listen to it from that kind of perspective. And it just gave me something different too, because sometimes when you're just writing synopses, they can get a little dry, and I yeah. wanted to try something different. So 
That was the, that was my, uh, my I was scratching my itch on that one. Yeah, I ran into that not necessarily. I don't run into that necessarily on the burn stuff. But when I was doing Fear the Walking Dead with Scott McGregor, writing those synopses was painful. Just painful. It can be a chore sometimes. Yes. Ugh. Take forever too. All right, guys. Well, hey, that no, that was great, and this has been a lot of fun. Uh, please write us. Please let us know how we're doing. Uh, we we want to hear from you. Uh, we will have shows coming out uh, soon. Uh, other things, we don't have anything directly on the books as to what's going to be next, but you've heard us talk about it, so you know it's going to happen. For Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. We also have Tim Elliott. Say goodbye, Tim. Goodbye. Kirk Greenfield. Say goodbye, Kirk. So long. For uh, John Hyatt and David Thompson, who couldn't join us, everyone take care, have fun, and uh, as Andrew Leyland would say, everything's going to be okay. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men... Just want to watch the world burn. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.